Hey guys, brand new podcast, and it's a burner. In the man cave, my mom, my wife, my daughter, Isla. Everyone want to say hi? Hi. No one can, you're not on mic, Isla. <laughs> Nana? Hello. Um, Body Shots World Tour. We have sold out 14 venues. I think it's 14 venues. These are the shows where we have added a second show. They are on sale right now, on pre-sale. Use the promo code SHOTS to get your tickets. These are the shows we've added a second show to. January 10th, Portland. January 12th, Calgary. 13th, Vancouver. 17th, Toronto. 19th, Indy. 20th, St. Louis. 24th, Albany. 25th, Mash Nantucket. I think that's at Comics or the Mohegan Sun. <coughs> I don't remember. I don't know where Mash Nantucket is. Is that, where is that? Boston. We've added a third show. Uh, both previous shows have sold out. We've added a show on January 27th. That's Sunday. Atlanta, Georgia at the Tabernacle. February 9th, we've added a second show. Tampa, the 15th of February, we've added a second show. D.C. at the Lincoln Theater, we've added a second show. March 14th, the 16th in Glenside, Pennsylvania, a.k.a. Philly, for those of you who don't know, added a second show. On the 22nd in Utah, sold out. The 23rd in Denver at the Paramount, we've added a second show. Minneapolis, we've added a second show. On the 31st of March, Manchester, Glasgow. Glasgow's gotten moved to a bigger theater. Stockholm sold out. Manchester sold out. It sounds like bragging, but it's not bragging. I'm very, very happy, very proud. Uh, you should be. I'm very yeah. proud. I'm very shocked. I'm very I'm very grateful. Thank you, everyone. It sounds like bragging. It's Isla. <laughs> It's, Gratitude doesn't sound like that. <laughs> I want people to know that they can get their tickets now because uh, a lot of people were upset online that, that they didn't get a chance to get their tickets. So we've gone on pre-sale again this day, today, Wednesday. Use the promo code SHOTS to get your tickets for those second shows added. Uh, and then we'll see you on the road in 2019. I'm super excited. Um, we're adding dates. Yes, we're adding dates to Australia and New Zealand. They have not been added yet. They haven't been announced yet. We haven't finalized things for the tour, but that is the Body Shots World Tour. Go get your tickets. All those other venues are close to selling out. I'm not certain I'll add second shows in those. I don't know how that works. I know you want to have enough lead time to sell the second show, and I think we were on the fence with the last like three shows going like, all right, so get your tickets. Go to burtburtburt.com. Yeah. <coughs> I'm coughing like What's crazy. What's with the coughing? It's, it's Santa Anna's. I was gonna say it's the that. allergies. You're not on mic, Isla. If you're gonna if you're gonna say something, whisper it into Nana's mic. I sneezed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we should turn this around for the two of us, I. Um, anything else yeah. happening? Anything else new to talk about? What? Some pajamas. <laughs> this is my wife's territory. Dan, why don't you tell everyone what's going on? On the website, BurtBurtBurt.com, Secret Time Pajamas. Pajamas. Mom, do you remember the pajama story? Uh, yeah, do, I special. lived it. And actually, it was one of the funniest, funniest family times we had. And I remember thinking at the time, God, I wish, I wish we had been videotaping it. Of course, I don't know how many years ago it was, whether they even had videotapes invented then. Yeah, they yeah, definitely they did. had <laughs> videotapes. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't know how to use them. And I, I remember thinking, that was so funny. No one would ever believe how funny it is. And actually, I, I don't remember the 
the actual details of it. But when you tell it, it almost makes me cry laughing, remembering how funny it actually was. But I think you tell it better than it actually happened. Yeah, that's how stories work. I you know, I know, I know, I know. He usually does. Yeah. He does embellish it, it a little so bit. I didn't embellish good. that at all. No, that one you didn't actually no, embellish at all. Not. I yeah. thought Al Kreischer was going to have a heart attack. Yeah, when, when Al laughs, when Dad laughs, he, it, you know your high-pitched squeal? Yeah. His is higher. Dogs come out of the woodwork. And <laughs> he and his eye, little eyes squint up, and he has this... <laughs> and he lo- really he it, you're almost embarrassed I know it, it, it's really you're embarrassed to be seen with them the first He's time so I ever looking. heard him laugh is when I pissed on the Medox dining room table <laughs> the first time I ever heard him laugh like that like I, I never made him laugh like that growing up like I never made him laugh yeah nobody made dad laugh yeah and then the first time I made him laugh like that we were by the you remember that hook we used to keep the keys yes uh huh we were by the hook where you kept the keys and I came home early from the Medox house and he goes I thought you were going skiing I said I, I had to leave early and I had told mom already what had happened he goes your mom said something happened what happened how did nothing. you tell your mom? Did I, you call I, her? I stopped on, I bought a hat, a Phillies hat. I remember this so clear. I was driving home. From where? I, from the uh, Medox in Orlando. Uh-huh. And I pulled over at a Chevron or a Shell, maybe, well, I think it was Chevron, wherever we had a gas car. No, it was an Amico. Yep. Amico. We had a gas car for an Amico. Mm-hmm. And I filled up with gas and I got on a payphone and I called my mom and I said, I'm coming home. And you, she was like, Why? And mom was someone you could always tell everything to. Yeah. And I was like, well, apparently I got drunk last night and pissed on the Medox dining room table. <laughs> and she was laughing so hard. And she said, wait, what? And I went, I don't know, mom. I don't really remember it. But like, I guess in the middle of the night, I woke up, slept, walked, peed on the dining room table. And then, so when I went out for breakfast and she's dying laughing, she's like, you ate breakfast at their house? I was like, yeah. And I guess she had said to dad, I, Bert's coming home and was laughing so hard. But I can't tell you. And so when I got to the, when I got home, I was standing right by the keys where we used to keep the keys in the kitchen. And he goes, "Oh, you're going skiing." And I said, uh, "Yeah, I, I, I came home." So your mom says, "Oh, I have a lot." So what happened? I said, "I don't want to talk about it." And he was like, "Just tell me. Just tell me. Just tell me. Did you get arrested?" And I go, "No, Dad." And he goes, "So DUI? What happened?" I said, "No." And he goes, "What? Why can't you tell me?" And I said, "Dad, it's not that big of a deal." He goes, "Tell me what happened. You should be skiing there, though. You know, Dad's getting worked up." And mom's laughing and she's like, just tell him. And I go, I guess I peed on their dining room table. And he, <laughs> I guess. he his eye, I thought he was having a stroke. I'm not even joking. His eyes closed and he went, they just built that house. They just built that house. They just built that house. He kept saying, they just built that house. You peed on their dining room table. They just built that house. <laughs> I I really thought he was gonna. I thought I was gonna get in trouble. I thought there was a. Yeah. And I was, by the way, I was like moving to New York. Yeah. Well, well Bert, peeing on someone's dining room table is so <laughs> far out of what you expect your son to say he did. I mean, farted in front of them. Yeah. Uh, spilled a coke. Right. Peed on the dining room table. <laughs> when I sat up, when Missed I got up, the toilet. One thing. <laughs> when I on got the, aimed for the dining room table is bizarre. <laughs> when I got up to have breakfast that morning, <clears throat> Danny Dolgar. I think that was his name. Danny Dolgar was sitting at breakfast. Who is he? He was Casey's boyfriend. Who's Casey? Casey's Kristen's uh, sister? sister. Okay. Casey, Danny, Kristen, and Joey. That's mm. all the Medoc. Who's killed. Joey? So Joey's their brother. Okay. Well, I don't know these people. They were all, oh, here comes Georgia. 
they were all sitting at the dining at the breakfast table mm-hmm. when I sat down. Mrs. Medoc was not looking at me. Mr. Medoc was filling the boat with gas, and it was silent. And Danny Dolgar goes, "How'd you sleep last night?" <laughs> and I was like, "I'm going home." And I just got up and got my car and drove home. I was so embarrassed. Well, but you didn't know what was going on. I knew what was going on. Oh, you remembered peeing on their dining room table? Kristen had come into my into my bed into my bedroom because I was in the guest bedroom first thing in the morning was like did you pee on my parents dining room table and I was like no I didn't pee on your parents I'm like I'm 24 or 25 years old I don't pee on tables I've never peed on a table in my life she goes that's what I thought my dad said that he walked in on you peeing on the dining room table and I go no no your parents don't like me that's what it is she went yeah I know I'm sorry I it's crazy like they said that they walked in on you peeing and and he woke me up in the middle of the night and then there was like some water on the table you must have spilt your water on the table and then I was like wait what She's like, did you like get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom? And I was like, I remember thinking, does your dad wear tidy whities And she goes, he does. And I went, I think I peed on your dining room table. <laughs> and then Danny walked in. He goes, did you piss on their dining room table? Oh, and I was God. like, I was like, yeah, I think it was Dan. I don't know if it was Danny Dolgar now that I say that. I wonder if that's the wrong name. But anyway, it was, I, and that's when I realized I'd peed on their dining room table. Oh my goodness. By the way, the uh, Medox. Love that I share this story all the time. They do? Oh, they love it. They share. Why? I, they don't love it, Mom. Well, yeah. Clearly, they've gotten rid of that table. I don't know. Well, they don't have many com- people come over for dinner after they hear this story. Probably not, no. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Apron, a family that eats dinner at the dining room table together, <laughs> stays together. Ask the Medox. <coughs> uh, we use Blue Apron. Nana, have you had any of our Blue Aprons? I love Blue Apron. I love it. I never knew what to do with cumin, turmeric, ginger. I know what to do with cilantro. Throw it out. But I never knew what to do with that. And when, you know, you get this recipe and all of a sudden you're like, that's why something tastes so good. I never knew to use that. So I absolutely love it. Last night, Leanne made... Biscuits and chicken? Chicken and biscuits, yes. It was a blue apron? Yes. It, it was fucking phenomenal. I just had it for, really for lunch. It was good. Wasn't it good? It was, a, it was great. Isla, did you like what mom made last night for dinner? She ate the chicken and the carrots. Oh, really? But it also had squash and onions. And what was that big vegetable inside it? Squash. Was it squash? Yeah, it was a squash. It Isla, wasn't yellow squash. Dad, it was a different squash. Okay, go take care of her. Here's the great thing about Blue Apron is you can cook these meals in 20 minutes or less. They're inexpensive. They're always going to be under $10 per person, per family. We have the four-person meal plan. And uh, and the thing that's changed our lives is eating together. I love eating together. Even last night, I had to do a Something's Burning, so I knew I was going to eat last night. Mm-hmm. But we all sat while everyone tried the chickens and uh, biscuits. Mm-hmm. And Isla did love it. I, I Isla did love it. Georgia loved it. Yeah, Georgia wolfed it down. Yeah. Would well, you know what is another thing that is fabulous about Blue Apron? What's what? that? It's portion controlled. It is, yeah. So you lose what I... That sort of does not speak well for how much I eat. But, <laughs> <laughs> but when we're on Blue Apron, you, you're limiting your portions. You can depend on what calories you're getting. And it's easier to watch your weight. Yeah, if you're one of those people like me who goes, we're making pasta and you make fucking a pound of pasta mm-hmm. for two people yeah no this isn't this this no. you whatever they make you you eat you end up eating it's f- legit 
four portions. It is. There's very, very rarely do we have leftovers. And and it doesn't mean that we're wanting. We're not. It's no, you're not. It's just the right amount. It's perfect. Skip the meal planning. Get straight to the cooking with Blue Apron. Get rid of the ghost grocery list. Let Blue Apron do the meal prep for you. Choose your recipes based on your, our schedules. What? Anyway, here's a call to action, guys. Go to this. Go get this week's menu. This week's menu is potato, basil, and pesto pizza, sweet stir-fried chili cor- chicken, seared steak, and homemade steak sauce. Isla, which one do you think you'd like the best? Or seared beef dumplings and jasmine rice. I know you're gonna like the jasmine rice. Ow. <laughs> which one you like, hon? That one. I can't read it. Seared beef and dumplings and jasmine. I told you, I knew my daughter. I like dumplings. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free at blueapron.com slash birdcast. That's blueapron.com slash birdcast. To get your first three meals for free, Blue Apron, a better way to cook. This podcast is also brought to you by two of my best buddies in the whole fucking wide world. The Bonfire with Big J Okerson and Dan Soder. <laughs> You're so goofy. That's what it sounds like. The it's bonfire. like the Bonfire. The Bonfire brought to you by <laughs> Big J Okerson. It's one of my favorite radio shows to do. I'm going to read their copy and then I'm going to tell you uh, what I think you should do. Uh, it's been a radio show on Sirius Comedy Central Radio for over three years. Three years? Oh, I remember when they were just one, one day a week. And now they're releasing their favorite clips as their very own Comedy Central podcast. They figured, hey, if our show's going to be bootlegged, might as well make it official. So now download the best of the bonfire where you, whenever you find your podcast. Check out some of their latest best episodes featuring... Nick Foles, Michael Che, Neil Brennan, and Andrew Dice Clay now, along with Bert Kreischer and The Machine. Bert Kreischer, come come join Big J and Dan as they let you in a life of two stand-up comics with dad issues. Actually, a whole crew with dad issues. It's the best of the bonfire. Subscribe now. The Bonfire with Big J Okerson and Dan Soder on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasting apps. You can also listen to The Bonfire every Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Comedy Central channel on on Sirius XM. Do you know whose voice I'm doing? Mine. Kyle Kinane's. What? Kyle Kinane does the voice for Comedy Central. Oh, no This has been a little bit all over the place. What do you want to say, Isla? I want microphone. Here, come lean over and get it. It won't stretch any further. (laughs) Can't wait. Isla, you're killing time here. Just say what you're going to say. Hi. Oh, Lord. Today's podcast is a great one. It's with Justin Wren. If you don't know who Justin Wren is, he's a mixed martial artist. He's also a humanitarian. He builds wells in Africa for the pygmies. I don't know if that's racist to call them the pygmies. Anyway, he's also got an anti-bullying campaign that we talk about that is all going through his nonprofit, uh, Fight for the Forgotten. Go to fightfortheforgotten.org if you want to donate money. $6 a month can change the life of one person over in Africa on the Congo, one of the pygmies, it gives them clean water. $6 a month, that's one person. That's a couple Diet Cokes. What's the matter? What What are you doing? You just change a person's life. One of the pygmies. Just one of them, though. <laughs> one of the pygmies. <laughs> maybe maybe more than one? No, it's one pygmy. For six bucks a month, they get clean water. <laughs> you're, you're sponsoring one pygmy? Yeah, one pygmy. Well, that's what Sally... 
Struthers, Struthers does. Ah, you only have to yeah. help one kid not starve. Justin Wren. Justin true. Wren is is they call him Big Pygmy. Isla met him today. Can you imagine he got bullied in high in grade school? Which one? The the fucking guy that looked like the Viking. Oh yeah. He's um. Nice. Yeah, he's a great guy. I first heard him out of, on Rogan. This podcast gets a little awkward at the very beginning because I listened to Rogan's podcast with him and Rafael Lovato Jr. last night. I was unaware that there were two people on the podcast. I thought it was just Justin. So everything everyone said I attributed to Justin, which I was like blown away by. But So you'll hear that at the very beginning of the podcast. When I start talking to him about being the first American champion in jiu-jitsu, and he's like, I think that's Raphael. And then I go, no, it's you. Your dad was in. And he's like, you'll hear it. It's uncomfortable. But we switch speeds very quickly and go on to have a fantastic two-hour conversation about him getting bullied, him growing up, getting into wrestling. I was going to say professional wrestling. Getting into wrestling and then uh, becoming a mixed martial artist. His sobriety... Um, his finding the pygmies and now his bullying campaign and then we talk about working out it's a great conversation you're gonna love this podcast by the way <coughs> i think this week we're gonna release two podcasts i think we're gonna have a second podcast coming out midweek uh so enjoy it all it's all free content i hope you will love it i hope you enjoy it share it give six dollars a month to save a pygmy leanne just one just one mm-hmm. Um, but have a great week, everyone. <coughs> Body Shots World Tour. Go get your tickets. BurtBurtBurt.com. Secret Time Pajamas. Do you like that, Leanne? I do, I do. Today's podcast, Justin Wren. This is Um... Can I tell you, I got to start off with saying I'm obsessed with Bellator. Okay, awesome. I'm obsessed with Bellator. That's great. I like, I feel like Bellator is, um, I don't know the right way to say this. As like, as a layperson's fan of MMA, which I, I, I would say I know more than the average person, simply from my listening to Rogan's podcast. Right. Um, I'm, But I'm obsessed with Bellator because I... I went to the event. I didn't go to the event. I was in San Jose two weeks ago when right. Musasi fought uh, Rory McDonald. Rory McDonald, right? And uh, dude, it was like it was like almost going to an All Star game. I know that sounds ridiculous in a sport where the where the the lifespan of the average athlete's only like five years, maybe Something less than like that. that. Yeah, it was like fucking Rampage was there. Yeah. Chael Sonnen was there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then I listened to Vanderlei Silva. Yeah, Van. Yeah, yeah, it's it was fucking amazing. Yeah. And uh, and then I listened to you on Rogan yesterday. What a gr- I'm gonna fucking make you revisit some of that interview because okay. it was the best interview you've done on Rogan, in my opinion, yet. Because Thank I you. didn't realize your history with jujitsu. Yeah. I didn't realize your dad's history with mixed martial arts or martial arts in general. Well, that was Raphael's dad. His no, dad. no, your your dad. No, no, my yeah, dad. no, no. That was weren't you talking last night about your dad's from Oklahoma? No, that's my uh, that's Raphael's dad. That's Raphael's dad. Yeah. Sweet, hold on. Then who the fuck was on the goddamn podcast? It was me and Raphael. You and Raphael? Both I thought together. that was all you the whole time. No, it was. Both oh man, that's a totally different podcast. No, that's all right. Sweet, Raphael's from his, Oklahoma. Yeah, him and his dad were the first Americans to be Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts. Okay, let's go back to Bellator then. Okay. So, how did how do you how do you get how do you get found by Bellator? So I was a UFC veteran, and I'd been on the Ultimate Fighter TV show. Yeah, um, I. That's where you met Brendan. 
Yes. Yeah. That's where Brennan and I became boys. Yeah. And I moved out to Colorado to be main training partners with him and Shane Carwin uh, to train underneath Trevor Whitman, who just won MMA Coach of the Year. Um, and just a bunch of studs were out there in Colorado. People like Rashad Evans were coming through, George St. Pierre. Uh, we kind of had this relationship with TriStar out of Montreal. Um, and then uh, Greg Jackson's Academy um, out of Albuquerque. And people would come to Denver to be at the high altitude. Really? And so uh, it was just a fantastic training camp to be part of. And so, yeah, I was, I was kind of the young gun. I got into fighting profession at 19 years old. I'm 31 now. Um, but uh, yeah, I had five years where I took off some time uh, and went to the Congo, did, did work there. I'm fascinated by, I'm fascinated by how, how, that, how, that, how that even transpired. But I, I want to get to that. But yeah. I want to talk to, I want, like I'm fascinated with, Bellator. Yeah. I'm fascinated with Bellator because I feel like what they're doing right, by the way, I know nothing. Okay. Okay. But what they're doing right, <laughs> the UFC is doing wrong. I agree. Okay. I okay. Agree. So now I'll, you tell me your opinion first. How do you, where do you see the, I see Bellator putting fighters first. Yes. Uh, fighters first and their best interest first and treating you like a, real person and not uh i i support the ufc too because they're the biggest guys out there yeah um i love a lot of the fighters i love a lot of the staff i love joe i love a lot of people there um but you can get lost in the shuffle and you can be treated kind of like cattle if that makes sense well it's, it's um, such it's such a it's it bums me out because I, I see people get phased out too quick yeah phased out too quick um and then also it's just you can be the champion of the, of the, your division. You can be the champion. Uh, Joe and I were talking about it yesterday on the podcast with Raphael, how Tony Ferguson, you know, had a work related injury. He's there on set for, I think it was Fox talking about the UFC tripped over some cables and cords tore his knee. And he's just on a killer win streak and he gets his championship belt taken away from him before he can even rehab before he can even do that just because they want to keep shaking stuff up. So he got stripped of his title. I think unfairly, unjustly joe thinks that as well yeah um and then you can be the champion and i think that if you're in renegotiations um that's whenever you see champions start having their names tarnished um and people start talking trash about them in the in the media so um like ufc staff does yeah so um bellator is different in the fact that they're making it unique and fun they're kind of bringing back the pride style days uh pride so fighting wait, so okay so so for the because I think anyone listens to my podcast, if they know if they know MMA in general, they then they're kind of like I already get that. But I feel like I get a lot of listeners who go, I'm fascinated by MMA, but I get lost in all the all and and some of the some of the history of it. So like right. so like the UFC started with the with the. Um, Gracie Brothers yep. starting that company and, and and basically coming up with the idea of the octagon. Right. But before that there was there pride. Was pride and yeah. K K1 K1 was kickboxing. Yeah. So and Pride was MMA. And Pride was in boxing rings in Japan. Yep. By the way, I am guessing a lot of this. Okay, like, you're getting uh, it. Like just like this is when I say like I'm a lay fan, like I'm like yeah. I'm like a I kind of know. Yeah. But that and then Okay, now this is where I start to get I really off. Okay. Pride also had problems because some of the fights were fixed. 
That's what they say. Allegedly. Allegedly. allegedly yeah. Some of the fights are fixed. Uh, none of that has been proven. I don't think um, there might, if people dig into it, there might be one that was fixed and that might've been between the two fighters. Um, but I, I'm, that's even slipping my mind who it was. Yeah. Um, that it was all allegedly there was, uh, the Yakuza helped run yeah. pride. Who's the, um, who's the Japanese guy that is such a, by who, by the way, I'd love to see him fight in Bellator. Yeah. I think he might be too old, but, uh, Sakuraba. Is that what you're thinking of? What's his first name? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, fucking big motherfucker. <laughs> Tattoos on his neck. Lives in Japan. Dialed in with the oh. Yakuza. Oh, wow. Um, Osas, not, not. Um, I know him. I like, yeah. I actually know him. And I'm, uh, his name slipped in my mind. Where the fuck are you, um, Boston? Um, <laughs> but yeah, but like I listened to those stories about K1. And then that yeah. was where that there was the great man. This is why I don't host an MMA podcast. There was that great wrestler who Mark Coleman, Mark Coleman, Mark Coleman and Kevin Randleman. Both were really great wrestlers. And they were at, they fought um, in pride. They did. And then uh, that's where Fedor became a legend. And people will say that his some fans will say his fights were fixed they weren't um his fights they gave him some very interesting matchups Fedor was the fucking russian right the russian that was with 30 the, with, and 0 with the with the with the mouth guard with the teeth nope who's that uh do you know what i'm talking about i know uh, there's been several guys that have had mouth guard there was a, there was a string of russians that scared the living fuck out of me mm -hmm. for a period of time well fedor would scare everybody because he was just emotionless he was just ice cold oh, you would never God. get him to smile you would never get him to show any hate he, like he was just flat uh you couldn't see anything except this gaze in his eyes and it like froze your soul i know you're <laughs> not afraid uh, i mean are you do you get afraid going into a fight no, just in life like because i'm by the way i'm afraid a lot okay. but I'm, I'm ballsy like i'm ballsy like uh like if something like if today i was walking back from i got coffee this morning for me and my wife and this guy went flying down our street hmm. and I yelled out. It's so funny. I knew you were coming over here and I don't know if it's because I knew you were coming over here so I felt tough but I was like, hey, slow the fuck down and the guy slowed down and then he backed up and he's like, what the fuck did you say? And in that moment, I'm like, I do not know how to fight this guy. All I am hoping is that I can, my coffee's hot enough that it burns him. And then I throw it in his car and him fucking ruin his cell phone. I like, I'm like, but like, do you get scared in you life? You blind him, man. I, I hope to blind yeah. him. I, there's no way I can fight him with vision. Do, is there, do you get scared in life? Uh, I think fighters have to have a little bit of a screw loose uh, to get in there and fight because getting into a fight, I'm actually really excited about it. I like, I anticipate it. I'm excited to circle the date on the calendar and be like, that's the day. Yeah. And then whenever that day approaches, it's like, I mean, I wake up and the first thing I say in the morning is today's the day and uh, just excited for the fight. Um, but I think, but what about like in traffic comes, in traffic, someone cuts you off and then you're like, Hey, you almost fucking hit my car. And he's like, go yeah. fuck yourself. Like, cause I know that, I'm really good. I'm really good at like my strength is comedy. So yeah. I can cut someone down. Like this guy pulled in. There's a few, this is really sidetracking this. There's a few uh, laws about driving that I, that I feel like I know that no one knows. Okay. Right. Number one is, uh, if you're going to merge onto a two lane road, take a right on a, on a stop sign onto a two lane road, both lanes need to be clear. That's a law. Okay. It's a law across the board. Yeah. You can't just one lane clear. And the reason I know that is we were in a car accident because my buddy merged into mm. one where the car was there and he went out of control, ran into a pole. Mm. And so the cop was like, no, you're at fault. It has to be clear. I mean, that always stuck with my head. So the other day we're on Franklin and this guy 
almost hits my car. Same scenario. And I honk at him and he pulls up and he's like, Dude, did you like to want to say something to me? And I'm like, we're in so much traffic. I'm not really scared, but I know I can hurt his feelings. And I go, hey, man, just um, I honk so you were going to hit my car. He goes, no, I wasn't. I said, just so you know, both lanes need to be clear if you're going to merge in. He goes, that's not true. I said, it's actually the law. I'm looking at his wife or his girlfriend who is not that attractive. And I go, and, and I say, and the guy's probably younger than me. I say, dude, it's the law. Why don't you have your fat mom Google it? And it's his girlfriend. Uh-oh. And it shut him down. And he went, what the fuck? And then I turned left. And I was like... He's going to be up tonight thinking about that one. Yeah. You just dealt with a pro, Captain. You just got... Like, I hurt you in a way that's... You did my... And your relationship. Like, oh, fuck. Anyway, but like, I go, that's where... So, like, if you get all cut off in traffic and a guy's like, the fuck? And clearly, I think you look intimidating. Yeah. But if a guy gets out of your car, do you get... Do you get... Uh... I'll, I'll buck up too. Um, but then also I normally, I don't know why I have this habit, especially if my wife's in the car and the guy's getting all, I think the confidence coming from knowing how to fight, um, deescalates a lot of, of conflict. So I normally wave at them and smile whenever they're flipping me off. Um, and so I just kind of, just kind of, I don't know. I don't know why I do that, but if someone's flipping me off, I literally will just smile and wave at them. What was the last fight you got into? Like that wasn't, scripted not scripted uh arranged. it's been a while man because as a professional fighter you really have to be careful i mean really? if, you get, if you get in a fist fight and you get caught i mean the, your hands are considered a weapon and so it's uh no bueno getting in a fight so, so what, what do you do for what do you more. do if like a guy talks shit at a bar that's gotta happen do you drink uh no i actually don't don't um, drink at all no never uh no i did i did a lot oh a lot, shut a lot, up a lot. Yeah, you're like tate yeah i uh i yeah, I would go wild. For so, real? Yeah. Well, I bet you were terrifying um, when you went fucking uh, wild. And I, I had gotten in fights. So I was at a bar in Vegas once, um, and I was there with a bunch of fighters, and it was uh, the Encore, right, at XS? Or, sorry, is it the Encore? No, it's XS at the Encore. It's oh, a nightclub. I think I know what you're talking yeah. about, yeah. And, um, or it's just the XS symbol, and so uh, letters. And I'm there, and I'm we're partying, and I go to the restroom, and uh, I'm at the urinal, and this guy next to me looks over and says, oh, Justin Wren. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? He goes, I could beat you in a fight. And <laughs> and, and I'm like, and I, I just pat him on the back. I go, okay, bro. He goes, no, really, I could beat you in a fight. And I'm like, brother, it's all right, man. He goes, I was a wrestler. And I'm like, so was I. And I was a national champ. And he's like, but I know I could beat you in a fight. I'm like, all right, man. So I go and I start washing my hands. And he comes and washes his hands. And he's still just kind of talking. And so I get done. I go, okay, man, if you want to fight, let's fight. And I was just kind of joking. Like, I didn't think he would really try to try anything. So he shot a double leg on me and drove my back right into the wall. But what he did was he left his head up because whenever you're driving a double leg, you you use your head to, to really drive. So he left I his head up and I just... brain's thinking in this moment, oh, you left your head, you're shooting a double leg, but you left your head up. Bro, yeah. come on. I know I'm drinking and having a good time, but uh-huh. you got to fucking well, could protect your head. Yeah. So I just sunk in the tightest guillotine choke I probably ever have on on somebody and uh, in about three to five seconds he was just completely out but I was still holding him up so I let him go and he folded where his ar- he was laying on his arms you know uh, both arms underneath him and he was just snoring yeah. um, and I walk out and my buddies are like you look flustered what's going on I go man I just got in a fight in the bathroom they're like what no way and uh, and so we ended up leaving right after that but it was uh, it was pretty wild so those those kind of fights can happen um, so I, that's why I kind of have avoided uh, bars for a little bit so wait so. did you have a day that you like a day that you go that I'm done drinking today yeah it was eight years um, 
four months, no, eight, eight years, five months, and oh, you the app on your phone. No, eleven days ago. I just know it. Oh, really? So Cinco de Mayo of uh, 2010. So I wonder how many. I wonder, respective to like, I talked to Greg Fitzsimmons last night, and he was like, "No, I quit drinking New Year's Day." Hmm. Like, I wonder how many days. Uh, like, I wonder how many people have their sobriety March 18th. The day after St. Patty's Day. Oh, yeah. I wonder how many people get it on Cinco de Mayo. Wait, what was your... Do you mind talking about it? Yeah, absolutely. So I I just got to the point to where I couldn't handle it, you know? I became an alcoholic in a a bad way where it was just... How um, old were you? I was 23. Before... Before you did uh, Ultimate Fighter? No, I was on the Ultimate Fighter when I was 21, 22, so... So wait... Okay, so, so it was after. Back. So you were drinking on Ultimate Fighter? Yeah, I, I had a hardcore oxy addiction. Um, what? So yeah, man, it was bad. Shut so, the and fuck I would, up. I would, I would piggyback everything. So anything and everything that was around, I would, I would use. So um, it was, it got to the point where there was an eight week uh, binge where I don't really remember a thing, and this happened numerous times. But uh, I'm supposed to be helping guys train for fights. Shane Carwin was getting ready to fight Brock Lesnar. Um, I'm one of his main training partners with Brendan Schaub. Uh, you know, he's getting ready for the World Heavyweight Championship, and I'm not even showing up for practice because I'm just messed up. And so I, uh, I, the Oxy got to the point where I had three different doctors, three different states. I would get 30 from one, 60 from another, and 90 from another doctor. So Colorado, Texas, and Iowa. I'd wrestle in Iowa, went to the Olympic Training Center, and then also MMA in Colorado, and then my family's from Texas. So I just make the rounds to make sure I get all my fix with the pills. So I'd, and, and I had an excuse, a real excuse at first. I had broke my elbow, dislocated it, tore the ulnar collateral ligament. I had to wait four months to get surgery, and all they could give me was, was Oxycontin. And so um, my ligament was completely severed. Uh, but man, I think the average it takes to get hooked on it is only like nine or 10 days. And I was on it for four months. And so I needed it for the pain, but I really liked that it, it numbed uh, like some of the depression. I didn't know if I was going to be able to fight again. Um, and so I would have really highs and, and big lows and fighters have that, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, maybe entertainers as well, but I think we both um, share from the same um, wave pool okay. of like, of like, of like, this is the thing that will change my life. This yeah. is the thing. This is the next mm-hmm. prize fight or this special or right. this tour or this training camp. Like right. I know for a fact, I feel like there's a kinship with, with training camps and with getting ready for a special. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I, f- I feel like there's definitely like this almost micro focus of like, like I, d- I was saying to someone, I got to the point on my last special where I could tell you how many hours I'd been on stage and I was obsessed with doing, running this special. I was like, if I can run it a hundred times, and then I went, I bet if I can run it 150 times, it'll be that much better. Wow. And within those last 50 times, I changed the setup of it maybe 40 different ways. Wow. Like, and then I got obsessed with it. Yeah. But, and I was videotaping every set and watching clips. Mm-hmm. I, I would say there's a big correlation. So yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So we'd be training two or three times a day, six days a week. Um, and we'd be watching film in between. I mean, it was, uh, we were obsessive with it, but, but my addiction started taking me away from training to where I'd wake up and I'd have my steel cut oats with agave nectar and berries. And I'd have my whole wheat toast or, or egg whites and my smoothie or green, green drink. And then I'm turning on my vape and taking the pills and drinking my liquor before I walk out the door to go spar with like Shane Carwin. Brennan on, how could you even do that? I ca- yeah. like, cause I cannot, once I drink, 
I'm done for the day. Yeah. I could, I actually I take well, that back. I used to be able to get on my treadmill with a box of wine. And be like, <laughs> like it was, but it, and I don't know why, but it was just, yeah. I could do it. It was yeah. like I'd walk and just drink wine and watch guys, uh, yeah. guys, diners, drive-ins and dives. Right. And I could just drink wine and be fine. Yeah. And then I'd get off and I'd be drunk, yeah. but I'd be sweating. Uh-huh. Um, but how could you drink? I think I got chemically dependent on the pills and then I would just, I don't know, something about having a, a drink with it and, and having, uh, yeah, just have, just piggybacking stuff would, would make the pills a little bit better. And could know. you, could you work out on yeah, pills? Yeah, really? I could, I could. I, I, I remember my fight, uh, on the finale of the ultimate fighter I was using right up until day of weigh-ins. Um, and so, I mean, it was bad. I was chemically dependent on it to where, um, eating with a fork food would fall off the fork because my hands were shaking if I was trying to get off. Right. And so, really? um, it felt like I would either sweat through the bed or shake the bed off the bed frame almost because I was shaking so much. And so it just drive me right back to the pills. And so this, the rock bottom moment for me before Cinco de Mayo of 2010, I, um, I got a voicemail from my best friend. I was basically a missing person for eight weeks. My parents had broken into my house. They found, you know, coke residue everywhere and pill bottles and i mean i was living like a pig um and then uh i got probably like 60 or more voicemails um that were unanswered and i just wasn't paying attention to them it was just a blur for that eight weeks right and the most recent one was from my best friend at the time and he said uh on the other line i can't believe you missed my wedding that's how it started you know i can't believe you missed my wedding and then all of a sudden i can't believe my best man didn't show up and so I was that far gone, you know, to where uh, I was a, uh, there's a saying, hurt people, hurt people. Right. And so hurt people, uh, hurt, hurt people. people. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's like a fucking Hemingway mm-hmm. statement. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was. I was a hurting dude with uh, these addictions and depression. Where was the hurt coming from? I think it came from my childhood, honestly. Um, really? Yeah, my childhood dream was to be a MMA fighter. It didn't fulfill me the way that I wanted to, but the reason I even found MMA was I actually grew up getting very, very heavily bullied. Um, Dude, yeah. I, I'm, that I, I, was, I was bullied, but I was bullied in like a, like I don't think anyone would see me as being bullied, Okay, but I was definitely, I have a weird trigger of helplessness, hmm. of when I feel helplessness, it fucking fires me up in a way that I think connects with getting bullied of when you're helpless and you're getting bullied right. and you're like, there's no way out of this. I yeah. got to walk right past that table. Yeah. So wait, how were you bullied? Cause you're a big guy. I, I am now. Um, I didn't have a growth spurt until I was like a freshman or sophomore in high school. So third grade to eighth grade was really bad. I grew up, I had tubes in my ears and so it was so hard you put to silly hear. putty in your ear when you're swimming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. No, I, yeah, Ryan absolutely. Valerius had tubes in his ears. Okay. So David Valerius. Yeah. So that, exactly, that's what I had. And uh, I always had ear infections. And because of that, it made it hard for me to be able to, to, to talk. And so I had a speech therapist from my kindergarten all the way through sixth grade. Um, it was really intensive from kindergarten to second grade. So I just, I don't know, I didn't fit in really well with the what kids. What did you sound like? Um, how did I sound? So basically, if I try to say simple words like fish, for instance, um, and no matter how hard I tried, and the harder I tried, the worse it made it. And so it would be fush. No matter how hard I tried to say fish, oh, it would be fush. You know, you know it's amazing. Fish, There's a, I know fush. a comic. I know a comic who has a speech impediment. Okay. I never noticed it. Like I don't like my daughters. If if my daughters show up, I'll have my one daughter talk to you, and you, she they should show up in a second. Okay. But 
they my youngest both of my daughters have a speech impediment i have a speech impediment i went to a speech pathologist uh for like four years growing up awesome to try to speak yeah 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 it does help um but i don't notice it it doesn't register with me and i I was i was i don't notice it in me at all i don't notice it in other people either though like i don't really it just doesn't register and i was sitting having a beer with this one kid and he was like yeah it really fucks with my head Hmm. because people think i'm stupid the harder i would try the worse it would make it and so either the fush would come out or sometimes i'd stutter no speech impediment Um, whatsoever right now i i worked on it i mean i i went to work um trying to make sure that i could say everything right but sometimes i if i get up and i have to speak in front of a group i'll have times where things start to kind of sort of catch up on me to where are you a only child i am so my mom uh almost had she had severe complications, and uh, anyways, they had to tire tubes, and she couldn't have any more kids um, after me. And so, yeah, I was the only child. Had a great mom, um, and then I dad, sat at the dad around. Yeah, dad yeah. was around. Uh, he's severely like bipolar, um, so and doesn't get treatment for it. So that that was rough growing up with that. Um, What's the, 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 I, I'm so sorry to like get into this. No, you're like, good. What is bi? What does a bipolar dad look like? Because like, um, I feel like I'm a, I know that I've had friends that are bipolar, but I always, yeah. I can never really, I go, I always get that confused with manic. Right. right. So what, what is like a bipolar I don't dad think, look like? Uh, I don't think my dad struggles with the manic too much, but he does struggle with incredible mood swings to where he could be the most personable, charismatic guy that could like that saying, I don't know if it's correct or not, but he's never met a stranger. Yeah. I mean, he just makes friends with anyone and everyone on elevators. All of a sudden he's getting off and laughing with people that he just got on the elevator with. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden it can be a big outburst to where he gets into the hotel room from the elevator and something sets him off to where he's, you know, throwing stuff all over the place. And it's like, you were just, you were just fine and great and having a great time with these random people now yeah. you come in you're around your family and now you have this explosion That's so it's pretty it's pretty wild and so for that i didn't feel like he was a real safe place to go tell that i was getting bullied and you, a kid doesn't want to tell their parents that they're not the cool kid at school or that they don't really fit in at all that's my um, biggest fear with my kids mm-hmm. is that that they're afraid like my daughter uh fell Right now, everyone's like, get back to his fucking story, Bert. No, but no. no uh, my daughter fell on a rock one time. This is the silliest thing. Knocked the wind out of herself in London. Mm. And, uh, and, I, and she was crying inconsolably. And we're, it's dark. I'm drunk. We're in London. My friend's with his dog. My other daughter's running around. Everyone's laughing. And she's crying. I'm like, baby, come on. You got to calm down. You got to calm down. Listen, everything's great. We're in London. We're having a great time. You just knocked the wind out of yourself. You got it. Like, and I, I'm like, you're... you're you're, uh, I said something like, you're beautiful. You're, I'm telling her all the positives. Yeah, You're popular. Awesome. And she just shuts down. She goes, Dad, I am not popular. Hmm. And I went, what? She goes, I'm not popular, Dad. And it was almost like, you. It's, it's weird. Because you don't, I don't really give a fuck if my kids are popular. Right. They have friends, but they're not like the cool girl. And then I, of course, went on to slut shame whoever was popular but but my point was like it's it is a weird thing as a kid is you don't want your parents to not know you're not cruising through life so in a weird thing the one safe place you should fall you keep to yourself which just causes more anxiety Mm mm-hmm and man, Bert, I want to applaud you for being a family man. I mean, meeting your wife, your mama bear, and then your kids. I mean, it's it's cool to see how, how you are a family man. It's oh, I, I don't. I, yeah, I'm, I tell you, be dead honest with you. I was I was more dialed into being 
this guy than I was being a boyfriend or being cool. Like I was always waiting for the time where I could have a family. Yeah. Like I remember saying to my wife, like when we first started dating, she's like, we're going to buy a house and we're going to flip it. We're going to get another house. And I was like, I just want one house. I want one house. I want us to grow up there. I want it to be our house. I don't ever want to leave there. And then, and literally now my daughters are like, oh dad, we can't leave. They're open a burger restaurant down the street. So, and I'm <laughs> like, awesome. oh yeah, we should definitely stay until they open the burger restaurant. By the way, burger awesome. restaurant's taking fucking forever. Yeah. But, so go back to your, I'm sorry. No, no, it's great. No, I do want to apply to you for that. That's cool. I mean, I look up to that. That's, that's neat. Um, how you are with your family. So, because uh, I'm, I'm a husband now, almost four years. We're thinking about having kids. And so if I could. How old are you? 34, 34? 31. 31? Oh, yeah. dude, you're right in the sweet zone. Yeah. That's yeah. that's right when you start having kids and you're still a young parent. You're not like Segura or Burr, these old fucking dads <laughs> who just fucking... I, I said to Tom, I go, you're going to have to keep up this career for 18 years. And he was like, huh? I was like, dude, you just started being like, you're going to have to keep this going for 18 years. I got to keep it going for five more years. Five more years and I'm done. I can retire and go live with my wife on an island. Tom's going to do it for 18 fucking years. Fuck that. Oh, Starting when you're young, it's a fun parent. It's a fun. Okay. It's a, Oh, it's the best. Because your age right now is when everyone's starting families. And you're locked in. You know what you wanted. You know what you want. You know where you're going. It's a great time, man. Mm-hmm. I look. I'm jealous. Because I look back at those moments. And I go, God. I, I was saying to Bill Burr the other day. I was like, I'm glad I was broke having kids. I would love to have been rich. But, like, I'm glad that I did it when I didn't care. Hmm. Like, I just, you know, you're young. Right. You got your whole life out of you. Yeah. Which we're going, we're going to get talked to about everything about you. But I want to go back to your childhood. Yeah. So, I would sit at the lunch table by myself. I got pelted. That's one thing of bullying people don't really look at. I mean, there's, I think, a, so Fight for the Forgotten organizations getting into bullying prevention this year. We've been doing that the whole year. And uh, the reason is one the way that I grew up getting bullied. And so um, exclusion is one of them. But really, bullying is, it's not just teasing, but it's got to be peer-to-peer like abuse, right? Yeah. And so um, I would get pelted in the back of the head with chocolate milk spit wads or, or food or fist a lot. Yeah. Um, and I just remember... Uh, well, there, I'll tell you one story. Um, I, my middle school crush, her name was Jennifer, and mine too, I mine too. Yeah, Jennifer <laughs> same Stevens, name. Jennifer. Stevens. Okay, all right. Well, so Jennifer, um, I really, really, um, yeah, wanted to impress her, and so I wanted to catch her eye, and I never could because she was in the cool group, right? And so, yeah. um, but one day came and. Uh, they were passing out invitations and I got one. I got an invitation to a birthday party. Um, on it, it said costume contest. Uh, winner gets a prize. Everyone at school started talking about what they're going to wear. Spider-Man, oh Batman, oh my uh, all this different stuff. I knew that she loved Transformers and her favorite was Optimus Prime. And so I, I did my research. You know, I'm 13 years old and I'm getting all into it. Um, and then I knew her dad worked at Dr. Pepper. Um, was like an executive there or something, a big dog at, at Dr. Pepper. Um, so much so that they had a Dr. Pepper like machine in their house, you know, 13 years old, eighth grade. You think that's really cool. You don't have to pay for it. You just push the button. It pops oh, it yeah, out. Yeah. Um, their living room was decorated with Dr. Pepper vintage stuff. And, um, and I heard the rumors around school. So, uh, the winner was going to get a Dr. Pepper gumball machine. 
So that was cool too. Dr. Pepper flavored gumballs. So I, uh, <laughs> and Texas, Dr. Pepper's like king. Everyone wants Dr. Pepper in Texas for some reason. Where in Texas? Uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a big plant there for Dr. Pepper. And, um, yeah, so I, with my mom, we grew up in the country. We had some duct tape and I remember, uh, her helping me, um, transform into what I called, uh, Optimus Pepper or Dr. Optimus Pepper. And so from head to toe with duct tape and cardboard boxes, uh, 24 pack on my head as a helmet, uh, chest plate. I had 12 packs on my arms. Yeah. Uh, I had a shield and a sword. And I remember going to her house and Mimi opened the door, her grandmother. And she said, Jennifer is going to love this. And so I walk in, uh, chest kind of puffed out. Like I've, I've done all my research. I'm about to impress her. Uh, Mimi stopped me at the Dr. Pepper machine and I got to push the button and get that and go to the backyard. And whenever I opened the door, I remember being greeted by my peers and, or just seeing all my peers and got blasted with a couple of uh, flashes of light. Um, my eyes adjust and I look out and there's not one single person, uh, that's dressed up and I hear the sound of laughter and fingers pointing. Um, and then I hear Jennifer say, I can't believe you thought you were good enough to come to my party. And then right next to her, Tyler said, you're worthless. And then right next to, or the other side of Jennifer was my notorious middle school bully also named Justin, uh, who organized it. And so, uh, he said, you should just kill yourself. And so when he said, you should just kill yourself, I was like, it was, it was brutal. You know, you, you're 13 years old. So you believe the things people say about you. Yeah. And so, um, I remember thinking like, I'm worthless. I'm not good enough and really contemplating, maybe I should kill myself. Um, and so that's whenever the biggest battle of my life, the biggest fight, I'm a fighter, but the biggest fight I've ever battled was depression, um, and suicidal ideation for sure. Do you feel like, do you feel like those moments leave like a DNA imprint on you where you go, oh, I'm going to be battling this one moment for the rest of my life. Like I've got these moments that in a weird way, like my mom used to call them her, your nooks and crannies, the things that the thumbprints that make you into who you are. So I remember, I remember I wanted to get on medication one time. I was like, I don't think my brain's right. Like, I think that I'm dealing with a lot of stuff that I can't really figure out. I'd quit drinking and I'd quit drinking for, I think, total of eight months. But in the process, I was like, I think I'm still having anxiety really bad. Hmm. And my mom's like, oh, honey, those are your nooks and crannies. That's what makes you an artist. By the way, this is the worst fucking advice you could ever give to any human being. So you're dealing with something and you want yeah. to fix it, just fucking fix it. But And so my mom and dad, and then my dad was like, you should just start drinking again. And I was like, oh, cool. And so I just did that for the next fucking 15 years. But right. but like, do you feel like those things almost stamp you with depression? When hmm. I think that it sets you up for a lifelong battle of times and periods. Um, but it's an indicator that it could be something that follows you for the rest of your life. But um now I want to use it as a way to encourage kids that are going through the same thing now. Cause, um, how do you find that? How do you find, how do you bridge that gap though? Like, how do you get to that kid so, who's alone at a lunch table? Yeah. I don't know if you just saw, but I, I did this and, um, uh, it follows me. Um, I, I pull on my shirt. Dude, can I tell and, you ninth grade? I, I won't, don't know his name. I won't say it. Okay. But, and I won't say the other guy's names. Three of my friends were making fun of the kid who was pulling his shirt. Yeah. And I and what he had was he had a stomach nipple. He had pulled his shirt so much. And I 
I didn't. I, I, I saw it from an, I was like, that's really interesting that you noticed that. I didn't even notice that. Hmm. But my three friends were like, yeah, that's what fat guys do. By the way, I do that all the fucking time now. Yeah, I do. I've never once put on a shirt and not fucking stretched it yeah. with both arms. Yep. Just, I do that ta, every ta, time. Ta. I do it this morning. Go, dude, I do it to every shirt. Yeah. Why don't they just make extra larges a little bigger? A little bigger. And I'll feel, yeah, I'll feel yeah. a lot better about myself. <laughs> right. But but uh, the tugging the shirt. So I, do I, I would do that tugging because... Uh, the kids would pull my shirt up and slap my belly, pink bellies and twist on my nipples in front of the girls. Um, and so it's just been this lifelong thing that's followed me. I've tried to stop it being a habit and then I'll do it. And then I'm like, ah, you know, freaking stop. But no um, one, but you I know, can't. everyone sees you as just an alpha. Hmm. Like everyone looks at you as like a fucking straight up alpha. Hmm. Like, yeah. but and it took me winning two national championships in wrestling before I could finally take my shirt off at the pool. Before I could take my shirt off at the pool, I had to win two national championships. After the first one, I still wouldn't get in the pool. Or if I did, I would wear a t-shirt and I'd use, I'm pasty dude. So I would just say, um, uh, you know, I don't want to get sunburned. Yeah. Uh, And that's why I'd wear the shirt sometimes. So then get me, take me from that party with the Dr. Pepper machine. God, that bothers me so much. That bothers me so much as a guy who... You know, I, I would say, I would definitely say I never bullied anyone in my life, but I'd be inaccurate in saying that because I'm certain I did and didn't even notice that it was affecting someone's life. It's like, last night I was obsessed with this. I was obsessed with the f- concept that people say, uh, people go, I'm not racist at all. And then I go, yeah, but you're not you're not the one that gets to say that. Like, no hmm. one gets to say, like, if you, that's like me going, I'm a great husband. I, I don't get to say that. My wife says he's a great right. husband. Yeah. Like, I don't get to go, I'm a great, yeah, everyone's going to say that. And I was obsessed with the concept that you can't go, I'm not racist. You don't get to call yourself not racist. Your actions are affecting other people. Those people get to say, oh, no, that person's actually racist. That's how that works. I was obsessed with that last night because that woman that uh that said the black kid touched your ass did you see that no i didn't see that oh, this is a fucking lunatic woman who a, a young child a, a an eight-year-old maybe nine-year-old happened to be black walked into a convenience store in new york and his book his backpack brushed her ass and she said he grabbed my ass he's a young black kid she saw the kid he's nine years old he grabbed my ass and she fucking called the cops on him wow. and then she was like i'm not racist no you're not allowed to say that yeah. you're definitely not allowed to say that yeah because they get to say you are or you're not right that's your actions speak so when i say i'm not a bully i've never been a bully i can't say that because i don't know how my actions have ever affected anyone hmm. but i do hear that story yeah. and i go what fucking wrong with those people? Yeah. And so where are they now? And how do we find them? And how do we pay them back? Yeah. How do we fucking, how do we just little ways, like little ways? Well, I know that now my way to not necessarily pay them back, but to help is I get to go in schools, share my story. I get to encourage kids. We got a, a bullying prevention program and curriculum that we equip martial arts academies with. Yeah. Um, and they get to teach character development, humility and self-respect. And humility. Um, That's one of the things that like uh, all mixed martial arts teaches that mm-hmm. I, I wish I had. I wish I had more humility. I wish I could be better at like, like sometimes the things I say in my head are so bad, but it's all about my ego or my self-esteem of me like trying to protect myself. But I hear them said in my head and I'm like, well, Jesus Christ, Bert, like where are these coming from? And I think just a little bit of fucking 
little bit of fucking self-confidence that like wrestling or mixed yeah. martial arts gives you yeah. would have fucking helped him. wrestling turned my life around really wrestling turned my life around because i had two olympic gold medalists that coached me in high school there wasn't another high school in the country uh, that had one olympic gold medalist and my high school had two my parents had to sacrifice a lot. They saw my passion for mixed martial arts. I was watching it as a kid, and I said, I want to be one of those guys. What was the first um, things you started watching? UFC 2 through 9, um, because they, the VHS shop that I went to, they didn't have 1 to 10, so they had 2 through 9. Really? So, or maybe it was 2 through 11, but anyways, they didn't have first one, so I didn't get to see Hoist Gracie in the first one. But I uh, remember watching them. Yeah. For, I remember watching them. They, were, they came out. Their interviews were so cheesy. Do they? <laughs> I, but there was like... I remember first hearing about Hoist Gracie and being and in a room and there, there were, he was fighting some monster and they're like, dude, he's going to win. And I was like, there's no way. And they're like, no, no, no. He, I've actually, they were playing it on repeat on pay-per-view and we had the, the box with the chip in it. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> and they're like, no, he wins. And I was like, there's no way. The guy's fucking huge. And the guy's like, bet me money. It's probably when he fought Kim Shamrock. Yeah, um, probably. Just shredded, yoked up dude from the WWE. And I was like, wrestling. there's no way. Look at him. Look yeah. at him. That's what first free yeah. like blew my mind. So for me, what drew me to MMA was when I first picked up the VHS tapes, I looked at it and go, these guys don't get bullied. You know, these guys don't get bullied. And really? when I turned it around, yeah. That's where, you, that's where you're into was, that's so interesting hmm. why people find, you know, Rogan was bullied. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't want to speak for Joe. I don't ever right. like speaking for Joe. It's always his story to tell. Right. But I know that he was not, he, he felt, bullied as he and found solace in mixed martial mixed arts. Martial arts, yeah. I think that's fucking fascinating. So there's like 3.9 million youth that are in martial arts in the United States. Probably half of them. When we talk with martial arts instructors and when we talk with parents, it's almost always their kids find mix or martial arts because they're being bullied. And so uh if you talk to MMA fighters, probably I mean, I'm just guessing here, but seven, eight, nine out of 10 were the ones that were being bullied, not being the bully. Um, and so most fighters grew up getting bullied. Um, and so it's, it's a unique thing. Uh, martial arts teaches you it's an outlet first. I mean, physical, uh, to where you get to sweat out the toxins, um, physically, but also emotionally and get that toxic stuff out of you. Uh, you get to have an outlet of passion, a focus, a, a purpose. Um, and it, it really started to change my life because I, I, so in just a few short years, I went from sitting at the lunch table by myself, getting, you know, uh, the laughing stock of the whole school, um, very premeditated stuff to transfer it out. I, I wasn't very good at first when I started wrestling. I won one match by one point in my first year of wrestling. So it wasn't very good. And in that one, the guy kind of slipped and I fell on top of him. Um, and so, uh, but I had those coaches, they loved on me, they guided me. Uh, they told me to write down my dreams and put them somewhere I could see them. I had a purpose to work towards. Um, I remember they told me write down state champion and they made me a state champion or did that became a state champion. Then I upped it to national champion. I put that above my bed to where when I was going to sleep, I was dreaming about it. When I woke up, it was the first thing on my mind. Wait, get me from, get me from the lunchroom to the wrestling mat. Yeah. Like you, you watch, uh, you watch UFC right. two, and mm -hmm. you're like, Oh, these guys don't get bullied. Yeah. And then did you just walk into a wrestling practice and like i'd like to join the team uh i was the only wrestler at my high school because i was in texas texas is in a big wrestling state really and so oklahoma is huge but yeah. texas it's normally the high school football coach that's also trying to be a wrestling coach and he's like reading a book or watching instructionals and football's trying. huge in texas. oh yeah, yeah. definitely uh, i i 
went to Iowa State. I was recruited there. Um, and when I went to the college stadium, I was like, cool. Um, I thought it would be bigger. And they're like, this is huge. And I'm like, it's like a high school stadium in Texas. Yeah. Um, and so it's football's king in Texas. And so I went from uh, wrestling by myself on a, on a club team and still being bullied at that school to being kicked out because I, I went from being bullied and um, then standing up against a bully, but because it turned into a physical fight, we both got in trouble, and I got expelled wait, wait, from the school. Wait, uh, how in ninth grade? This was in tenth grade. Tenth grade. Yeah. How big were you in tenth grade? I was two thirty-five. Two thirty-five, and and you've been, been putting up with this kid mm-hmm. who probably didn't hit his growth spurt the way he had hoped. Yeah, and <laughs> and he's. Yeah. I, I just remember that. So so there's this there's this time where he was in the bathroom and there's this kid named Billy and Billy had some like learning disabilities and stuff. And, uh, I don't know if it was autism or, uh, what's that other ag, uh, Asperger's or Asperger's Asperger's. Asperger's. Yeah. It was one of those. Um, and he was literally sitting in between the urinal and the wall and like his shoulders up against the urinal and the wall. And he's just slapping him in the forehead, like backhanding him in the forehead saying, you're so stupid, Billy. You're so stupid. Just, uh, backhanding him in the forehead. And I said, Hey, stop, Billy, get up, stop, stop hitting him. He turns around, just decks me in the face, hit me right in the mouth. And, uh, I just remember it's kind of weird. Um, but I, I had a grin right when he hit me in the mouth. I was just like, now it's on. <laughs> so yeah. I, uh, he actually ran out of the bathroom. Um, but I, I caught up to him and I hit him a couple times too. Um, ended up breaking his sternum. Uh, I, I, uh, uh that's <laughs> an so, understatement for hitting him a couple times, breaking <laughs> right. his sternum. Yeah. So I, I broke his sternum. Um, and then the, an ambulance came for him and uh, police came for me. And so, uh, luckily they didn't press charges or anything like that. His, his dad, um, heard about what he was doing and then said, all right, he did, he deserved it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but I still got asked to leave the school. And so my parents made a big sacrifice. They saw my passion for wrestling, being the only kid at the school wrestling. Yeah. Um, and they sent me 67 miles from our front door to my high school's front door because of the two Austin? coaches there. Nope. It was, uh, it was, I lived in Southwest Fort Worth. Yeah. Uh, it was a little town called Crowley. Um, and my high school was in Northeast Dallas. And so I'd have to drive through downtown Fort Worth. I'd have to drive through Arlington and I'd have you to drive through an hour's hour to school every morning. Well, it's 67 miles, but having to go through that traffic, it's, it's not LA traffic, but it's, it's heavy, heavy traffic. Yeah, absolutely. So, and so then you went to the new school and did you feel part of you feel like, oh, this is a new lease on life. This is a new Justin. Absolutely. This is brand new. I'm going to grow my hair mm -hmm. out, (laughs) get a beard. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm going to be a vanilla gorilla here. Um, no, I, uh, I, yeah, it changed to where all of a sudden wrestling was cool at the school because um, the Olympic gold medalist uh, we were the second best wrestling team in the country went from a school that didn't have wrestling to then a private school that, that traveled the country I think we went out of state 10 or 12 times a year uh, to wrestle in Pennsylvania to wrestle in really? Minnesota to wrestle in Oklahoma we, Ohio Pennsylvania we would go all over the place um, and because we had two Olympic gold medalists as our coaches and so uh, senior year I was on like it was wild because I went from the bullied kid that had to leave two schools because of it to then I was on homecoming court and uh, prom court. I wasn't homecoming Wait, king. Is there a part king. of you when you're back? Because you're 67 miles back at home. Yeah. Those kids are still living in your in your neighborhood. Yeah. Is there any part of you that is 
literally like i wish a motherfucker would <laughs> like oh please invite me to the dr pepper party again there was one time that they invited me to the football practice and that the football practice was um or sorry the football team invited me out to their wrestling practice because the coaches said wrestling will make the linemen better and so which is true uh like ray lewis was a great wrestler um, i bet he was yeah uh there's a guy named Stephen neil who didn't even play college football he was a college wrestler and then he went into the nfl and he was a pro bowler like four or five different times with the new new england patriots wow just because he was a good wrestler he could go into being an offensive lineman and just dominate um so they invited me out to the wrestling practice and i remember just going there and it was my world it was wrestling and it was like kind of king of the mat and so those guys a couple of them that had bullied me growing up were having to face me on the wrestling mat and so i remember just just over and over and over getting out. Oh some my, of my God. I bet there's no drug that can feed that kind of fucking energy where you're like, Oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun. It was a, a little bit embarrassing for them, but it was, it was fun. Have you run into any of those old bullies? I have, uh, one reached out, Tyler, he reached out and he's had a big life change. I feel like he's doing Christian, good things in the Christian, community. Christian. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, he's a uh, Christian man. Christianity. I'll tell you yeah. what, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. The fucking guys. I think he's guys, like a youth pastor now. Or oh something. yeah. Duh, like, dude, I don't ever shit on religion. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not super religious. I believe in something. I'd grew up Catholic, Okay. but it's so fucking interesting. Yeah. The people who find God now mm. at my age mm. and are fucking full blown into religion. And it's almost like, Hey, you got to wash me clean of those sins that I did as a kid. And you're like, I think you need a little more than that. Like, I think you just, you go into Guatemala to dig some wells is different than, I think you got to find God more for me. Like I, I, I'm, I'm speaking about someone very in particular that was like, I ran into and they're like, yeah, man, I found God. And you're like, that's great. I want more. Like <laughs> I need more. I need, I need more repentance. But yeah, I knew it. Christian. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so for, and then the other guy, the one that organized it all, you know, he, uh, after I was on the ultimate fighter, um, they were all at a sushi restaurant and it was kind of like that same party. Oh, he's still young at this time, by the way. Yeah. 20, uh, two, 22 years old. 22. He's still young at this time. Yeah. Oh yeah. fuck. And he had gotten out of the military and he, uh, he had, I think he was like, I don't know if it was dishonorably or injured or something like that, discharged. And, um, okay, keep going. He said that he was, uh, he said that he was, um, a fighter pilot, but it turned out he was a load master instead. Um, yeah. so he would load the plane, which is still something great, like yeah. being in our military, but he exaggerated, said that he was a fighter pilot and different things like that. But, anyways, uh, they invite me to sit down with him at the sushi restaurant and, uh, and it took everything in me to actually sit down with that group that was at the party. Um, but I did, I sat down for a few minutes and then, uh, a couple of them were like, man, especially the guy that organized it all. His name was Justin. He said, you know, if we knew that you were going to be this big, bad fighter, we would have never bullied you the way that we did. And, uh, I'm like, Oh, so now you wouldn't have bullied me. <laughs> and, and, uh, so I don't know. I was just so uncomfortable with it. I didn't really know what to do. I said I was going to go to the bathroom and, uh, I did, but then I just ended up leaving the, the restaurant. I just didn't want to be around them. So it's, it's crazy how it's stuff like road. that can it's, still, it's a high road. You got to take road. in those moments. I yeah. think, um, I just recently started taking a high road. I dated a girl who, uh, cheated on me. And oh. I think I always had like, a. there's part of me that felt like I needed to tell the truth about it. And I, I used to talk about it on stage 
because I felt like there was, I felt like there was a, a truth that needed to be. I felt like this is a problem with my standup. Because I feel like if I'm not a hundred percent honest about certain things, hmm. I feel like there's kids going through what I went through, and they feel like if they knew that I went through it and I'm on the other side of it, that it might make their path through it easier. I wish I was being less specific. I wish I was being more specific, but I can't be more specific because I'm just now trying to process it. Right. The whole point is, um, I got cheated on and I got a venereal disease. Hmm. And I used to talk about this on stage. And I was trying to be funny, but then recently I went, you know, I'm not really sharing the whole truth because I wasn't the best boyfriend. And maybe I drove her away and maybe it's not her fault that she cheated on me. And maybe it's not like I, I... and then I started going, you know what? I, I think I should start taking the high road and not talk about it at all. Not based on my experience with it, but based on hers. She's a human being also. And maybe she doesn't need me. I don't say her name or anything, but trashing the memory of her. You know what I mean? Right. It's I guess and it, there is a way where you do take a high road where you're like, I'm in a better place right now. You guys fucked me up. That fucked me up pretty bad, but I'm better where I am today. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know it does. It does. And then, so fighting, I, I, uh, man, I just threw myself at it. Um, but I think, I think I set myself up for failure where it became my identity. It became like everything that I was. And then when I got injured and I was told I only had a 30% chance to ever compete again, um, that, that screwed with my head. I mean, that, that messed me up because I didn't know, uh, it was, when I had to wait for four months to get surgery, then I was out another year. Um, I was living at the Olympic Training Center at the time. I had to leave there and, and get rehabbed up. I fell into the addiction, uh, started a downward spiral. Um, and then for me, man, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I, I went and I, I lived in the Congo for a I do know a that. I, I'm, I'm, I, I know that. I remember the first time I heard you telling that story and I was like, what the fuck? Hmm. Like, what a fucking interesting journey. Like, and I was like, how did he, like, I remember hearing that and going like, like I used to listen to Rogan a lot when I was in on the road for travel channel and I'd hit play and I'd like wake up and he, and I'd be still listening to it. And I was one of those times I was in a hotel room and I woke up and you were like, wait, the, I was like, this sounds, this is going to sound so ignorant. I didn't know pygmies were real. Yeah. No, I, I didn't either. Yeah. I didn't know they were real. And then I was like, you were building wells for them. And, and I was like, wait, what? And I was like, hold on. I got to backtrack to how you got there. And then it was the middle of the night and I got back, but I've known that story for forever to the point where if anyone brings your name up, I go, Oh, big pygmy. Like, but how did, <laughs> so how do you get from where you were to there? Yeah. So that's a, a pretty wild story. Um, yeah, it's real wild. But uh, I just started volunteering on the uh, around town um, because, man, I, my life was just all about me. Um, and oh, uh, Jesus Christ, I feel like you're talking. To, I feel like you're talking to me through a higher power. Uh-oh. I just, I just had that meeting. I just had. Yeah, I had mentioned something about doing something for a charity and like. And yeah. I, and because awesome. I feel like my life is all about me. Hmm. I feel like I am so focused on my path that I feel like it's sometimes I feel like it's a little easier to go through life when you're doing things for other people as opposed to, I think you can, I think it's really unhealthy to just, everything's about you, Yeah. but I'm apologize, but no, keep you're going. good, man. 
No, and so I was in a place where I was fighting against people, but I had this idea, would it, would it be better to fight for people? Uh, I'm, I'm a fighter against people, but let's fight for people. And so yeah. I started started volunteering at the local children's hospital in Denver. Um, had to go through like night training courses and get certified and, and become an official volunteer. And man, that will change How old are you, you at the time? 20, 23. 23? Yeah. Jesus uh, Christ, you're so young. Well, man, I, I just, I'd been, I'd, done a lot at that young age i mean not not trying to pat myself on the back but i had like wrestled in moscow i kickboxed in amsterdam i'd been the main event at the hard rock in las vegas um i'd been on the tv show i had i'd i'd accomplished a lot almost of stuff all i wanted dreams. to almost yeah. the childhood dream became a reality yeah then it turned into a nightmare because of the addictions and everything else um and then even that got ripped away from me whenever i hit that rock bottom moment missed my best friend's wedding and then i go back to training with brendan and shane and, and a bunch of these guys and they're all looking at me different and they all took a vote and it was 34 to 1 they kicked me off the fight team um they said you need to go get help man you've got a real problem really yeah so it was and and uh, I mean, this isn't like pointing a finger back at them. Like there was, uh, there was guys that had other guys that had problems too, but mine yeah. was just so much worse. Um, and so visible, um, to where they could, they could smell me when I was coming into training and everything else. And, um, uh, you know, smell the liquor on my breath or, uh, while we're about to spar while we're about to punch each yeah. other. Um, and, uh, that, that it was what I needed. It, it, it definitely woke me up. Um, and yeah, so then I started, I heard a quote and it was no act of kindness, no, no matter how small ever goes wasted, no act of kindness. Yeah. I think that's how it is. No act of kindness, no matter how small ever goes wasted. Yeah. And I was just like, man, I, I should start doing something for, for some people. And, uh, cause some people really rallied around me and tried to help me when I was going through the addiction and, and helping me get clean. So, um, started that started at the local, like, uh, rescue mission or like homeless shelter, um, I, yeah, anyways, it was helping around at a few other different places. And this is actually, I haven't even, I haven't even shared this with Joe, uh, or on really many shows or anything, but this, so talking about a higher power, I, uh, I ended up finding myself in a place, place 11 months. I stepped out of fighting. Um, and I just wanted to be sober and like, I don't know. I, and I started helping different places and then I found myself in a place where I was broke as a joke. I was getting evicted from the place that I was living because uh, I didn't have a way to pay the bills. Uh, I hadn't taken a fight, and that's all I, I, I knew how to do. Um, and I found myself in a place where I said a prayer. I said, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And I was just like in a broken place. Like, what do I do with my life? Um, and this is kind of uh, feels like it's a conversation just between us, uh, so I'll, I'll share it. Um, man, I, I got lit up and it'll sound nuts. I'll sound actually crazy. Probably. Um, I had a vision and it was like a movie in my mind. Um, and I was in this rainforest and I don't know how to really explain all this, but, um, I walking down this footpath and I'm clearing thickets out of the way. Um, and, uh, all of a sudden I hear drumming and I keep walking and it's a little bitty thin footpath. I have no idea where I am. And I hear drumming and then I hear singing and then I come into a clearing and I meet this guy that his ribs are poking out. Um, and, uh, he's coughing. I know they sick and I see these other people. I don't meet them, but I see them and I know that they're hungry and they're 
thirsty and they're poor and they're sick. And I knew that they were enslaved. I just knew that in the, the vision, some reason or like the like movie in my mind or whatever. And I, I'm a big believer in visualization and bro, I've tried a lot of different, uh, I've tried a lot of different psychedelics and I've seen things before, but this was like unprompted sober and it blew my mind because it was so vivid. And uh, I came out of the vision and I felt like they were forgotten. And bro, I cried more than I've ever cried in my life. Like, I don't know if you call that a little puddle or what, but um, I, I just was on my hands and knees and I was like just sobbing for these people who I don't know who they are, don't know where they are. Um, and uh, and three days later, I still feel like I'm crazy every day, but I just feel like I have to find out who are these people. And I meet this guy named Caleb and he was buddies with like Bear Grylls, like the man versus the wild guy. Yeah. Um, so he's a little wild. He was like a humanitarian. He had done a lot of stuff around the world doing good works and everything. And um, uh, I'm like, well, this guy's kind of wild. Maybe I can tell him this vision thing. I tell him, and bro, I'm not kidding. He stops me and goes, those are the pygmies. And I go, who? He said, they're in the Congo. I'm like, where? He goes, yeah, I've been there. I met them. If there's anyone that's forgotten, it's them. And he goes, I was supposed to go in three and a half weeks from now, but my team I was taking, we were going to go take a, uh, a, he called it like a scout trip where assess their needs and see if they could help them in any way. He said, uh, but the rebels took over the airport we're flying into. And so these guys are husbands, their fathers, they've all backed out. Um, I was thinking about canceling my trip today or tomorrow. He goes, look, if you got a vision, if you go, I'll go. And all of a sudden I'm like, what? Like, this is wild. Um, I got to, yeah, it was wild, bro. It was wild. I didn't, um, and I don't share this normally because I know it's wild. I know it's crazy. Um, but Caleb and I went with a buddy named Colin. They saw the piece of paper that I'd written down, like forgotten on it. And underneath like a few different points, like they're hungry, poor and thirsty and enslaved. And we get there and we land on a, uh, we ran, land on a, a runway and uh, monkeys are jumping off the runway because it's grass and uh, had to fly into a different place. And we get out, we drive a few hours on the, I don't even think you can actually call them roads. Um, there was no tarmac anytime that we were there or, or concrete or cement or anything. It was, it was just uh, dirt roads with huge potholes. Um, we get out, we hike into this rainforest to where we're literally having to clear uh, the path with, with machetes and we're walking, or at least our, our translator was. And, um, then also we hear drumming. Then we hear singing. First guy I meet has tuberculosis. Um, his ribs are poking out and he's coughing and coughing. Um, and then we stay with him a few days and a few days later, the chief pulls us to the side and Caleb and Colin were like, this is your vision, bro. Yeah. Like, like this is your vision. Um, and it was, but I, like fully I couldn't like comprehend it or like digest it yet and it wasn't until like the third day that the chief pulled us to the side and said look everyone else calls us the forest people but we call ourselves the forgotten and we said forgotten it's made me start tearing up again um, and just thinking about the vision and what am I supposed to do like their problems are so big um, and I'm so small and you know seeing people literally dying of tuberculosis of dirty water of all this stuff. It was like way too big. And I I got this visual of if I did try to dedicate my life to this or try to help in any way, um, it would be like trying to empty the ocean with an eyedropper. Like the problem's way too big and I could, and it's just like drop by drop, you know, trying to empty the ocean. And so what impact could I actually ever make? Um, 
and so I felt so small, felt uh, almost angry that I was uh, that I went there, and uh, and like let me just go back to my life and fight, um, and uh, like it messed me up, man. It, it messed me up because the second trip I took, um, and it's kind of funny the pygmies like a lot of them haven't ever even seen a white guy before or a guy with light skin. Yeah. They don't, they don't have a uh, body hair or arm hair, uh, or like uh, facial hair. Um, so you walk out of the jungle, like chupacabra, yeah, absolutely. like a fucking monster. Absolutely. I, I've literally walked into a village before and they've all screamed. Albino gorilla. Yep. Vanilla gorilla. There you go. Yeah. And hide behind a tree, um, hide behind trees. Uh, there's, there's a video that Jimmy Kimmel played on and um, he said they were petting me like a golden retriever because I was the first white guy they'd ever seen. That's and they, they, crazy. They, they were petting my beard and my long hair and my arm hair and everything else. Um, but yeah, I didn't know about the pygmies. They didn't know about me. Um, and then uh, I was there the second time and there was this little boy named Andy Bo. And um, Andy Bo was sick because of the water crisis. He had already lost his dad and his brother because of dirty water. Um, and then Andy Bo's mom was sitting there and, uh, she was cupping the back of his head. I was cupping the back of her hand on the back of his head, um, and holding his little hand. And that's whenever like the blood came out of his ears. Um, and, uh, that's when he, he died. And so, um, and that just, that just ripped my heart apart, right? It just it's gotta changed be, me. It's got to be taxing at the end of a day to be over there and see so much sadness, see so much mm. like misery and almost like helplessness. Yeah, I would say so. And then I would also say, bro, that they have something that we don't. They have this deep um, joy, even though they have nothing. Like the comic in me can't stop making jokes. You go, they have something we don't. And I go, the ability to get in small places. There you go. Yeah. 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 yeah that's true. Their average height's only four foot seven. That's crazy. Yeah, I've seen the pictures of pounds. you with them. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. oh my God. Yeah. So it's crazy. I, I Like I never could have had this plan for my life. I never, it was never on my radar. But they adopted me in. Uh, they named me Efeosa Mabutimangbo. <laughs> and you have to say it like that or it doesn't make sense. But Efeosa. Otherwise you're saying headdress. <laughs> there you go. Well, and then Mabutimangbo. And they've got a lot of uh, cool stuff. So Mabutimangbo means the big pygmy. So that's where my name comes yeah. from. I used to be the Viking. And uh, most people can see why. Uh, but now I'm the I big love the pygmy. nickname, the big pygmy. Yeah. It's such a great Thanks, fucking nickname. So wait, then, so wait, so you go over there the first time. Yeah. And then in that trip, do you go, oh, this is where I'm going to be for a while? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or no, I left almost confused and mad. Uh, but then whenever I got home, I was, uh, I, first thing that happened was I went to um, the Atlanta airport and there's this mom and daughter that are getting ready to go to Haiti because it wasn't too long after the earthquake. Yeah. And so they're going to go do some, some efforts there. And they had like these team t-shirts and different stuff. And the daughter is getting a Coke and the mom says, you need to drink water. And the daughter's like, mom, I'm getting a Coke. They don't have Coke in Haiti, which Coke's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> everywhere in the world. There's Coke. You can find it. Um, except for out with the pygmies, but, uh, it's pretty much everywhere. And, um, I'd been to Haiti. I'd already done some stuff whenever the earthquake happened. And, um, and I see this mom and daughter fighting over sugar water so much so that, that the mom says, if you drink that Coke, you're grounded, you're grounded for two weeks. And the, 
daughter goes, you can't be serious, mom. And she gets the Coke anyways and goes, you're grounded. She goes, mom, I hate you. And stormed out of the Popeyes at, uh, at, uh, the, the airport. Yeah. I was just like, I just, by the way, um, I think I know that Popeye's that you're talking about in the Atlanta airport. That's how yeah, fat I am. It's so good. Keep going. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so oh my good. God. Um, and then, uh, that just messed me up because I just got back from that happening with Andy Bo. And, um, this kid doesn't have clean water. He already lost his dad. He lost his life and his brothers and his mom's all alone. And I couldn't, and not that I don't mean this on anyone, but, uh, like, I don't want to put this on anyone. It was, it was me. My experience was I had culture shock in a way that it was hard to sleep on a bed. Um, because the pygmies, they live in twig and leaf huts right on the dirt. They've never met a Mobutu pygmy that had a blanket. Uh, the fires are blanket. Um, and oh. so they sleep right on the dirt um, and when it rains, the rain comes through the leaf, leaves and drips onto them. Um, and, and it's wild. I've lived out there for a year at one time and then probably in total, maybe close to a year and a half or something, um, over the last like five or six years. And, but their culture, man is awesome. Like they, they love each other and it's a community vibe where, um, they live this Swahili proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And so they like, they always say they need each other and they help each other. And the only time they go inside their hut, their home is whenever it's time to go to bed or if the sun's blasting through the can canopy of the rainforest Yeah. and because they normally set up their camps or their villages in a clearing that they'll go and take like a little siesta, a little nap or something. But besides that, they're out in the village and they're with each other at sweet, all times. Sweet. This is going to, these are stupid questions, but no, just good. out of curiosity. So how did their water become dirty? Like you'd assume like if they got this far, they've had clean water. Okay. Let, hang on. My yeah. first question is where's the Congo? Congo's in pretty much central Africa, but it does touch the West coast and then it borders Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi. Um, it's underneath central African Republic on the West side. It's got Cameroon and Gabon um, underneath it. It's got Zambia. So it's um, all, it's, it's like legit Africa. Yeah. It's in the, central, it's like legit. Like, yeah. Yeah, that, that, those parts of Africa are intense, mm -hmm. um, mostly because, like, South Africa is super doable. And South Africa is scary, oh, yeah. but it's very doable because yeah. it's almost, like, uh, westernized. Yeah. But those parts are, like... Yeah, so Congo, the eastern Congo where, where we go is... Um it's got 38 different warring, warring rebel groups. Does that scare you? I've had... um won't go into it too deep, but I've had machine guns... Uh, pointed at me and stuff and really? um, I've had uh, we my wife's first night in the rainforest actually her first time ever camping was in the rainforest of the Congo with the pigs. oh Jesus <laughs> so, Christ so she's uh, she's amazing um, and uh, and I have a book that we wrote and uh, on the caption with her outside the hut is she must really love me because uh, she had that was my record night her first night I pulled five roaches out of my beard five roaches out of my oh, beard. oh god one roach <laughs> out of my beard yeah. uh, while she was there I got stung by a scorpion uh, on my uh, ankle that was pretty brutal um, and then she had roaches crawl across her neck mosquitoes all over the place um, so she's she's she a special must really person love you yeah she must really love me and, uh, but there's some funny stuff that happened too, you know, like the different cultures, everything else are, are well drillers that are there, the team that, that we help build. Um, I, I had my hands on the tools of the first 13 water wells. Um, that team's gone on to do like 77 water wells. Well, how did their water get dirty? Oh, sorry. Um, so water, 
really, unless it's coming from a spring, um, or if it's coming from a well, it's not really potable water to, to drink. Right. So, so wait, how does like that thing. happen? Cause you so have, you're water. in the rainforest, you're in a tropical climate and inside the water, uh, one, the animals are drinking from it. Um, they're, they're, yeah, I mean, uh, feces in the water. And but like, but like, how do we get from a place where, how do we get? So the average life expectancy of the pygmies is only 32 years old. Holy shit. 32 years old. And then, and then this, there's two different stats, but uh, they have the highest child mortality rate in the world as well. Uh, anthropologists call them the most oppressed people group. They live in one of the most uh, uh, toughest climates to live in. Tropical climates, you can, there's a lot of disease that spreads and everything else. Yeah. Um, it's just hot, humid. It's so humid there that you see your own breath. And so it, you think it's only whenever it's really cold that you see your own breath. Yeah. Whenever it's super hot, super humid, you see your own breath, and there's actually a ring that that forms around the moon at night. Um, and so oh, I've seen that. Yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. Okay. So it's that thick. So then so the the water there has parasites in it. It's got amoebas in it that will go in your stomach and your brain. Um, it's got worms. It's got it's got all sorts of and it's uh, been e. coli, like that for years? typhoid. Yeah, always. Um, oh, wow. And so unless they know how to get clean water, which is... And you can't just boil like, it. Well, you technically you can, but it's unrealistic and impractical for someone to every sip of water they ever drink, they have to go collect, which then can be... Boil, then like the, cool. The people up there in Africa, women and children spend up to six hours a day collecting water. Up to six hours a day Jesus collecting Christ. water. And then have to boil it all. And then whenever they have these big pots, you know, the ash gets inside of it. Um, and then you're in the hot, humid rainforest. And then you have to wait for it to cool down. You don't want to drink boiling water. You don't want to drink um, warm water. You want yeah, cold you want, water. Yeah, exactly. So it's just unpractical for them to boil everything. And a lot of times the pygmies don't have metal um, to boil uh, pots. So when you're over there, you go, all right, you go that first trip. Do you start, <laughs> is it already known, hey, water is the problem? Uh, yes, land, water, and food was the problem. They didn't have any land ownership for themselves. And so we got to lobby um, and petition and to work with a local, state, and national government to buy land back in their name, the tribe's name, because that's the strongest thing in Congo courts. Well, it's so and bizarre so, to me that this is you doing it. Like well, it's me with a team of locals. I know, but They're still, but still, are, like, it's just like, it's like, it's so selfless. Like, there's so many people not doing anything for anyone else. Let alone, like, if you give me the opportunity to buy land in Africa, I might buy it for myself to do a vacation property. But, like, go. I'm not, like, the last thing I'm thinking is, like, oh, let me make sure to lobby to get the property back in their names so they have something, yeah. you know? Well, I think it was just the connection I made with them, man. Um, the connection and the those moments that changed my life, you know, of, like, Andy Bo passing. And yeah. um, seeing people that call someone master and like not having freedom and uh, to yeah, not have clean water and know that whenever I got home, I was getting my dog water, that Connie Corso I was telling you about. Yeah, I'm getting him a, a bowl of water and these, these women and children would walk up to six hours to be able to drink from my dog's bowl uh, because that's clean water, right? That's crazy. And, um, so it was, it was pretty wild. And, uh, but there's some, there's some awesome stuff about their culture. Like uh, some people, do uh our well drillers would do dowries and so they would have to get like eight ten twelve cows um and then 15 20 goats uh and sometimes it was less than that sometimes it was like six 
cows and eight goats or something like that to, to be able to take to the wife's family, to be able to negotiate and say, I want to marry your daughter, different stuff like that. But um, that's the normal culture in, in most parts of Africa is doing a dowry. And so I sat down and I remember asking the pygmies, I'm like, hey, I'm engaged, you know my fiance, but I'm just wondering, like, do you guys do a dowry? And they go, oh, no, no, we don't do the dowry. And I was sitting there with Chief Alondo, uh, Captula, or actually his real name Sangule. He's no longer with us. He was the man with tuberculosis. Yeah. Um, he, he passed away. Um, incredible man though. So Captula was mean shorts because all he would ever wear was shorts. And so they just called him shorts. Um, yeah. so Captula, uh, chief Alondo and then Bajanji and they're the elders in the village. And, uh, and we're sitting around the fire and I'm asking them just cultural stuff. We call it sitting around the campfire, Campfire University uh, was what we nicknamed it. It's where they took us to school. Um, and uh, they would teach us about their way of life. It would teach us their proverbs. They would teach us just, uh, just their history um, and yeah, what they love about the forest. And I remember asking them about marriage and what you do. And it was so funny because uh, they're like, no, we don't do the dowry. That's ridiculous. I can't believe they do that for cows and goats. And one, pygmies won't eat goats um, at all. For some reason, we, we wanted to bring in goats to see if that could help them uh, with not agriculture, but livestock. You know, maybe there's something we could introduce. Yeah. They think that um, goats possess like evil spirits. Oh, by the way, yeah, um, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Yeah. They're not the only ones. Okay. <laughs> well, they, they will not touch them. They don't really? Want, they don't want anything to do with them. At least, and I think it's different varying village by village because because some villages, their culture is different than other villages that they've never even crossed paths with each other. Yeah. But um, yeah, we're sitting there. I'm asking about marriage and they go, we don't do the dowry. And I'm like, well, what do you do? Well, if you fall in love with a girl, you go to her brother and you bring your sister to her brother and you exchange sisters. And I'm like, wait, hold on. What is this? We exchange sisters here. And so I'm like, wait, so if I fall in love with a girl, I have to bring you my sister. And then I say, I fell in love with your sister. Take my sister. My sister. Yeah. And they go, yeah, that's how, that's how it works. It's a sister exchange. And that just blew my mind. I'm, uh, I go, well, what if I don't like her? Or like if, if someone fell in love with my sister, which I don't have one, but if someone fell in love with yeah. my sister, what if I don't like your sister? Well, you can't deny him his right at love. So you have to exchange Jesus sisters. I'd be, so, I'd be with my sister at clubs going, no, no, no. What do you think of them? <laughs> Yeah, let's get on that one right there. There's no way I'd wait for someone to bring their sister to me. Right, and go, yeah. Ah, oh, fuck. So, now so, I got to see. So they get married quick. They get married young. And then, uh, so I, but then I brought up, I go, well, I don't have a sister. So what would I do then? And so Alondo and Captula and Bajanji, they start talking and uh, they're scratching their heads and they start nodding. I can't and believe I, uh, this is the first time this came up to them. <laughs> and so they, They're like, huh, wow, we've never had that issue. They, they look at me and they go, we'll take a cousin. And I'm like, okay. And then I thought about it and all of a sudden I have a cousin named Jessica yeah. and she's my only girl cousin. I have like nine or 10 male cousins. Uh, and I thought about Jessica and then I'm like, well, she's already married. So I tell them, well, I have one cousin that's a girl and she's already married. What do I do then? They start scratching their heads, looking at each other. And then I see Captula do like the peace sign. And so he's showing this like two, two and, uh, I'm saying Bili Bili, which is two in Swahili. And, uh, they come back to me and they go, well, we'll take two chickens. <laughs> so, Should have started with the chickens. Right. So all of a sudden I was just like, man, it went from a sister 
to a cousin to two chickens. What if I don't have two chickens? Fine, we'll take the eggs. Whatever, <laughs> just a couple eggs. Right. So it was just uh, it was funny cultural stuff. So so there. when 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 did when did you get involved with the Wells? That was uh, an organization out of Oklahoma City. Um, they taught me how to drill wells um, in Oklahoma. I was from Dallas, Fort Worth, and I went up there and just learned from them. And uh, they sent me over uh, with a well drilling kit, manual well drilling kit. And uh, that was in 2013. 2013 was whenever I um, met an organization called Water 4. And then um, trained up a team there. And uh, yeah, just passed on the knowledge. What, what the goal was with Fight for the Forgotten, our organization and theirs, was we need to empower the locals. And so it can't be it can't be dependent on one man and it can't be dependent on Westerners. It's got to be locally sustainable. And so we needed to equip them with the tools, educate them with the knowledge and empower them to, to do it for themselves. That's and, the key. Yeah. Yeah. So what we would say is opportunity is greater than charity, that charity can be great, but opportunity is always better. And so what teach I mean, a man to fish, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, feed him for a lifetime. Yeah. And so the whole kind of concept was me and, uh, or, or thinking about it with, with charity is charity can be great for natural disasters, for, um, war, for, uh, people with disabilities who can't help themselves. But when it comes to poverty, man, people in poverty are looking for an opportunity they'll take a handout, but they're looking for a hand up. That's what they're craving. That's what they're desiring. They're yeah. wanting to help themselves. Look, you're a family man. You want to take care of your wife and kids. And, uh, so do they. And so they're looking for that opportunity to, to be able to do it. So, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I remember when the, we first got Georgia and I was like, and I was, I'd, I'd spent all my money on taxes. I didn't realize I was going to have to pay taxes on my money. Mm-hmm. And I was broke. And I remember calling Matt Frost and saying, I need, just get me in as many clubs as you can. I'll, I'll do the rest. But I just want the opportunity to work. I remember him being like, I, it's got to be, it's going to be hard. Like, I can just get you that. And I was like, no, no, no. Fuck short money. I want the long money. I want to get into the clubs. I want to headline. I want to, but that opportunity is fucking invaluable. Especially the opportunity to change your own life on your own terms. Hmm. Teach someone how to build a fucking well. And then they're like, we got it. We're yeah. up and running. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I helped with 13 the first year. Now it's 2018 and they've drilled 77 or more. So, and it's their business. They've yeah. established and it's not water for, it's not fight for the forgotten. It is their business and so country. Fight for, fight for the forgotten is your, your. Yeah. Our 501c3 nonprofit. Okay. And, but, and fight for the forgotten is not just pygmies. It's, it's two initiatives. It's the pygmies and it's the bullied. So really? the, the, the pygmies are another way to say it would be the most bullied people on earth. If the anthropologists say they're the most oppressed and then here stateside, we do, um, we do anti-bullying initiatives. And so we get it really, what we do is get into martial arts academies. We're going to use our curriculum in public and private schools. And I've been able to share my story there, which has been really great. But man, when I, whenever I talk about that, bro, recently, um, 
started to learn some like staggering statistics when it comes to bullying, but 160,000 kids each and every day skip school because of either bullying or exclusion. So because they're left out and they don't feel comfortable or safe at school, 160,000 kids skip school every day, which is 3 million school days lost every month. And then I look in, there's this at risk youth behavior survey um, that's in Oklahoma. And it's just been out a couple years, but 28.9% of the students are dealing with depression, debilitating depression that affects their daily activities for two weeks or more. Then after that, 15.1% of those students are, are dealing with uh, suicidal ideation. They're seriously contemplating suicide. And then 7.4% have attempted suicide. Seven out of 100 kids have attempted suicide. So I went out with Jim uh, to dinner. Um, Seven out of 100 kids have attempted suicide. Yeah. yeah. So that is so fucking frustrating to me. Yeah. So cyberbullying is off the charts. Oh, um, dude. Fuck cyberbullying. When we were at school, three o'clock it ended, right? Because we're now no longer in school. But now it's when it increases and really picks up. I was on this panel um, in San Antonio with U.S. Congressman or Representative Will Hurd, and we invited Maureen Molak onto the panel with us. I've known about her for two years. Who's Maureen Molak? She started an organization called David's Legacy, and um, it's about her son, who was 16 years old. Um, He was like a Boy Scout, really accomplished there. I think he was going to be right right around being an Eagle Scout. But um, some kids started taking out like Facebook groups and calling for a suicide. And there was like over 300 comments and stuff um, of people saying he should just kill himself or he should be in a coffin. And it wasn't 300 comments saying he should kill himself, but there was a multiple in there saying that yeah. um, they transferred him out of the school. They started a law called David's law um, in, in his memory because he didn't attempt once or twice, but it took three times before he uh, was successful. Um, and so Maureen says it's the worst way to spend the rest of your life is the loss of a child, but to know that it was because of that and in the way that it happened, um, she said that there's gotta be some sort of good that comes out of all this terrible bad. And so how does how it's almost like I I go as a parent, how do I find out about it? mm -hmm. Because if I feel like if I found out about it first, I could help get in front of it. Yeah. But then I'm almost too like. The other day, the other day, me and my daughter at breakfast, and she was like, "I go to the bathroom." And in my head, I was like, "I'm like a little bit of a helicopter parent." I was like, "Is she gonna go throw up?" Uh, like, I don't even yeah. think that that's in her wheelhouse of things right. she would do. But I'm so like, I'm such a neurotic person that I'm like, "Oh my god, what if she's bulimic? Hmm. What if someone's calling her fat? Oh god!" And then I started like, and that, but I was like, I guess if she was bulimic, maybe she wouldn't have eaten what she ate. She ate kind of healthy. She, yeah, you know, she had one pan I guess it wasn't a ton to throw up anyway but like I go how as a parent how do I get in front of it yeah I think being man I think you're involved so uh, you're gonna start seeing indicators and things like that but whenever their daily activities start to shift and change and they start to isolate um, and the signs of depression start surfacing or showing and those insecurities start coming out more and more um, they start talking negatively about their self and self-image and things like that it's um it's tough uh and then whenever it comes back to the bullying just real quick where this is where fight for the forgotten we said we got to do something um Mm -hmm. here stateside too was because i had my arms around my mom as she was crying and uh and i was wiping a tear from my eye and um and we were just 
just speechless um, because my parents own a photography studio and a memorial plaque was leaving their photography studio. And it was of a little guy that I had no idea um, someone this young could know how to tie a belt and hang themselves. But they were told at school, you should kill yourself just Ooh. like I was told. And he was, he was nine years old, oh, nine, fuck nine that. years old. And he took his own life because of bullying. And so, uh, looking into a lot of the stuff, there's, I think, I think parents just more involved, more engaged, uh, less on the phone at dinner or, or just asking students about their day, being a safe place to where kids can open up. Because if I go back to, I don't know why I have this image, but the Dr. Pepper, um, and I think about a bottle, like a two liter bottle, just being shaken up, right? You're, you're being bullied. You're at this young, vulnerable age. You're being shaken up. That pressure builds. They need to know that they can open up just, just enough to let some of that pressure out. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Just I, enough. I feel like I, I feel like my bullying at my, at its worst was in probably ninth grade and it was just bigger kids, hmm. but it was like something I take that back. There was a summer where it was, uh, some neighborhood kids. And it was just, you couldn't, you couldn't, oh, it's just, it's, it's such a, it's a helpless feeling. You know, it's so yeah. funny what triggered, I, everyone always makes fun of trigger warnings and I did too. Until then I started getting triggered by certain things. Number one, booze. Like, it's so funny. I'm not drinking this month and I've definitely have been like triggered by like things where you're like, we were, we were all texting last night. Joe was like, I'm going to have sushi. And immediately I was like, I'm ready for a beer. And then I was like, ah, oh, fuck. But like, I automatically, <laughs> I was, I was, my wife's like, Oh, we're going over to our friend's house. And I was like, Ooh. And then I was like, fuck. Like I got no, I got no outlet. But, uh, the trigger thing for me is, did you ever watch game of Thrones? Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember when the guy, they cut the guy's dick off? Oh yes. Dude. For some that reason, guy's like the most evil character I've that ever seen fucked me up so bad, yeah. and I was like, I couldn't. I, I was like, I feel like I've been there where things are happening out of your control, hmm. and you can't stop them, you can't slow them down, hmm. and you're just like, this isn't fair. Anytime I see anything about medieval time, like the, in the medieval times when they just go. Uh, cut his tongue out that almost like I it triggers something in me where I go where I just remember times where you're like I've, I've joked about it on stage and it's not a joke technically but where you're just like helpless hmm. the parents are gone you're in a house and you're like I don't I don't want to I want to go home and you're just watching it spiral like an older brother bullying a young like uh, oh that fucking I don't know what it does but it just fucking freaks me out I just hate that kids go through this shit. Yeah. What would you say to what would you say to the argument? Because I know there are people probably making this argument is that that's the stuff that makes you into the man you are today. Yeah. No, I see that, and and I mean, I see that point of view. Um. And I've, I feel like I've wrongly fallen into that perspective from time to time. Like whenever I first got into fighting, mm -hmm. when I first got into fighting and was more alpha and stuff, I would be like, you know what? It made me tougher. You know, it didn't kill me, so it made me stronger. Um, and and what we're doing now with the bullying prevention, we're not trying to raise a bunch of snowflakes. Um, 
a bunch of uh, I don't know fragile pieces of glass, you know, just trying um, to stop kids from killing them. Yeah, so it's it that's it. it's peer to peer abuse. Whenever it's abuse, that's whenever it has to be addressed and changed, reported. Um, it, it, things have to change whenever a kid's being abused, even if it's by another kid. It's it's got to stop. Yeah. Um, and so, man, I would say okay. So what we do, we have a curriculum called Heroes in Waiting. And Heroes in Waiting is bullying prevention, but mostly it's character development. And Heroes in Waiting is basically, it was taken from a TED Talk. This would be great for you to watch sometime. Anyone out there listening, it's called The Psychology of Evil. And it's by a guy named uh, Philip Gambardo. The I'm Psychology. Putting my, I'm putting that in my, hang on one second. Do it, man. It's, hang uh, on one second. The Psychology of Evil. Yep. <laughs> what, if you could, if you could uh, book note it for me, what is it? So it. I think it kind of talks about, I mean, it talks about some of our, our military that ended up torturing some, some people. And anyways, it's like, what, what happened to the good apples that made them do turn into bad apples or or do bad things? You know, were they bad apples or was it a bad barrel or bad barrel makers? And really it kind of 1.9 million views on this Ted talk. Keep going. It's a good one. Um, he, and then there's like three oh, different shit, paths. Hold on. Keep going. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, there's three different paths you can kind of take in this life, and you can be um, the perpetrator of evil, of wrongdoing. You can be the bully, um, and that one's probably, uh, I don't know, the second most taken option. Um, and then he talks about the other one, which is being a bystander. And basically, that's the path probably most often taken, which is. Um, thinking wrongly thinking you're an innocent bystander whenever it comes to bullying at least all the statistics and and studies show that you're not an innocent bystander you're a silent supporter if you're not doing anything about it the bully takes it as silent support Um, and so what we're trying to encourage kids to do is hey you are all of us are heroes in waiting Um, so we can all make a big difference Um, and it doesn't matter and what is a hero a hero is someone that um, that's that sees a need and takes action immediately. And so a hero is someone who sees a need and takes action immediately. And, um, and it can be big or small. It can be known or unknown. You can get applause or none at all. You can, um, but, but it's doing the right thing. It's standing up and, and speaking out. It's, uh, it's helping an old lady carry groceries or it's diving into a pool. If you know how to swim well, when a kid's at the bottom of the pool, or it's, it's just basically the curriculum that we, we share is there's going to be opportunities that come your way and, and it's okay if you don't take action right away, but you start noticing those opportunities that come your way to make a difference. I was probably the silent, I was that guy a lot in life. Mm, like silent a, supporter. Silent supporter, 100%. I definitely, I definitely probably am, have possessed more cowardice in the standing up for someone in the moment. Mm. Maybe not as much now, but maybe as much now. I don't know. Like, I know for a fact that like, uh, I know for a fact that there are guys, I know for a fact that I keep my head out of the fucking, out of the shots fired. I keep my head mm-hmm. down in the thing. When you see things going on online, I just go stay out of it. You don't want the fucking, and I feel like I, I feel like that's something I probably did growing up. That's why I go, I don't know if I was a bully or not, but I definitely was a silent supporter. Mm-hmm. Like I'd see yeah. bullying going on and go, at least it's not me. Yeah. Like, 
And so that's what the curriculum is trying to show is like, uh, there's a 12 weeks of mat chat topics for kids that are on the mats, mat chats. Um, and every week they have a different hero challenge. It's like, Hey, go to school. And when you see a kid sitting at the lunch table alone, bring them into your circle. It's almost like fight club. There you go. Yeah. 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 And we have a fight club that we're developing for on our website and it's for like monthly donors. But the first rule of fight club is they do talk about fight club Yeah, (laughs) and you share what we're doing and how we're doing it. But, um, no, you're right. Like there's these different weekly challenges that they do. And there's one where it's a secret one, you know, go do something kind for someone, uh, and, and not let them know that it's you, you know? Um, and so I think when it comes to bullying and people being bullied, or the bully, um, or the bystander, it all comes down to character development. And so building that character up in kids to say, let's choose the right things. Let's choose, um, whether it's humility, whether it's bravery, whether it's, um, I don't know, respect or whether it's disciplined or whether it's, it's just all these different characteristics to say, Hey kids, you got a big, bright future ahead, but like in tough moments, you have to choose the right thing. You and, and in life, you have to be engaged and you have to look for your opportunity. When that opportunity comes, you take it. You take it, you see a need, you take action immediately. That's the thing that's the hardest is, it's the, that's the hardest thing is to get the kids who, like you did when you stood up for that kid getting smacked in the thing. Yeah. That's the hardest part. Yeah. So, so what are you doing now? Do you, are you going and speaking at schools? And I do that uh, quite a bit. Um, we're doing right now, uh, it's called heroes in waiting on our website. Um, and we're inviting in a hundred martial arts academies. It's, it's actually a crowdfunding tournament. Uh, Bellator's come in and said, whoever is the top fundraising individual online is going to get two, uh, tickets airfare to the next, uh, or to the heavyweight grand prix final between Fedor and Ryan Bader. Oh, um, and they'll get three nights in LA, uh, with a, a hotel and everything. So we're doing this big competition, the, the top team. So we're inviting in martial arts academies to do a crowdfunding tournament where each goal is raising $4,200. When you raise $4,200, that transforms a community with clean water. And so we're seeing a need and we're taking action. And then we're also uh, equipping that martial arts academy that's fundraising for us with Heroes in Waiting, the the curriculum. Jesus Christ. And and so the goal is having 100 that fundraise $4,200, which would be amazing because that would be $420,000. What that will let us do is transform hopefully 100 communities with clean water and 100 of our communities here, our own neighborhoods with bullying prevention and character development. So that's the big goal. That's the big dream. The, The top team that fundraises and the individuals, they can be martial artists or they don't have to be. Um, but the top individual is going to get a free home gym. We're partnering with Century Martial Arts and Zebra Mats, and they're going to come in and give someone a free home gym in their garage. Um, and Bellator is going to fly them out and, uh, and put them up, and they're going to enjoy the fights. The top team is going to get their gym renovated. And so Zebra Mats is doing $10,000 worth of, of new mats. Holy Cent- crap. Yeah, Century Martial Arts is coming in with $10,000 worth of gear for the kids. Um, so they'll do gloves, sparring gear, kicking shields, uh, heavy bags, um, punching, uh, you know, boxing gloves, everything. So we're trying to motivate people like, Hey, here's this competition. It's going to be fun. We're going to be engaged, but Hey, the reason we're doing it is to make a big impact in this world. We're going to do it in sub-Saharan Africa, and we're going to do it in our own communities in the United States. So what can people listening right now do? Well, they can do a couple of things. They can share it. Some people don't have the finances to, to give. 
um, and they can they can share this out, this podcast. Um, they can share out the website, fightfortheforgotten.org. Um, if someone wants to be an individual fundraiser, um, they can go to fightfortheforgotten.org slash heroes, uh, or just on the homepage, you'll see Heroes in Waiting, and uh, you can sign up for the crowdfunding campaign. Um, we have t-shirts available, uh, Fight for the Forgotten t-shirts. That's a great way to, it, for me, it's the most comfortable shirt I own. Um, and, uh, and, and so people can get a shirt and it'll be a way that they get to talk about it and they can share this podcast with the people that, that they, uh, talk to, and then they can, they can donate only $6 will give someone clean water. $6 will give a person in need clean water. Really? And so, yeah. Um, and uh, to make us more sustainable, um, it's always good whenever someone gives monthly because then we can kind of plan out and project how much of a difference we can make. Um, and so financially it, 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 it really helps getting donations cause we're a nonprofit, right? And we can't do the work without people. And it all goes back to that same Swahili proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And that's why we're trying to uni- unite a hundred martial arts academies, a hundred individuals that are passionate that want to make a difference with clean water. That's fucking amazing, man. You're such an amazing story. Like, uh, to know, to know, now to know more about where you came from and what this path has been. I just, what do you think your future is going to be? I want to win the Bellator Belt Heavyweight Championship. Um, I've got a big vision for that, what I want to do with the belt. But then, um, and then, man, I want to, I want to grow fight for the forgotten into something that that can leave a legacy um and that's bigger than me much bigger than me would you have uh pygmies in your corner i would love that i've had one of our our head our team leader well driller in my corner once really yeah in houston uh he came down and uh, his name's benjamin laringa coley and uh he's one of the best guys i know he's like a brother to me um and uh and yeah, he came and he was in my corner and uh, I could hear him the whole time uh, yelling, F-A-O-S-A, F-A-O-S-A, <laughs> my, yeah. my pygmy name. And, uh, and uh, that was motivating. Um, so man, my, my future, I think uh, I've got a team now that we're building. Um, How much time do you spend focused on goals like winning the Bellator cha- and versus goals like the getting your bullying program yeah. up and how much time do you spend like do it's you, tough. is it even or is it do it's you go even. like it's pretty even um but it needs to be my time needs to be more towards mma yeah um you know two or three times a day six days a week um and then i need to have short burst where i do um high level stuff when it comes to either speaking about it or opportunities like this like thank you no, thank you for letting dude, me be course. on this when i got your text i was mm. like shut the fuck up i was like of course yeah we actually moved things around we i told you this yeah, the other day. i was yeah. like i was like i i got one shot to get him on i can this other guy's a comic but um not to not to like go back to fighting no, good, yeah. and stuff but like so what is training uh, we're gonna wrap this up i gotta get you out of here no, you're awesome but, I got time. but um what's what does your training consist of now yeah, so I trained with Rafael Lovato Jr. Um, in Oklahoma City and his team. He is the best or the most accomplished American to ever compete in jiu-jitsu. So, He's, he was on the podcast yesterday. Yep, yeah, with me and Rogan. Uh, and it was, uh, he's the most disciplined guy I've ever met in my life. He's one like... Define discipline. Rogan preaches discipline to me nonstop. Yeah. Like that is like, not preaches to me, but one thing that he has in this challenge that we've yeah. set out for each other is he talks about discipline 
and how I don't have it and he has it. Yeah. And I've been jokingly taunting him going, like people go, Bird, how sober October? And I just write discipline. But discipline is something I do not, I lack a lot of. I have a low threshold for reward. (laughs) So I believe I earn rewards when I haven't technically earned them. Discipline, meaning diet. Let's just start with diet. I have no fucking discipline with diet. I go from, the other day I ran, I I lost count of mileage, honestly, because I'm so obsessed with the points that we win on this challenge. I think I ran about 18 to 20 miles. Wow. And I, no, there's no, it, there's no, there's no accomplishment in that. It is just me looking at my phone going, stay in the green, stay in the green. Oh, we're in the yellow, get, stay in the yellow. And then, by the way, I'm talking about the challenge with Rogan and Tom and Ari, but like, and I just was like, I'm going to, it's, it's obsessive compulsivist. It's not even discipline. It's just me going, I'm in the green. I can stay in the green. My heart rate's mon- like staying here. Let's just keep going until I just go, I'm done. My toenail just came off. But, and then I just ate fucking five pieces of pizza. This is the one that has a speech impediment. Um, so wait, so when, when, you, when you say discipline, where do you find discipline applying in your life? So writing down my goals, I, I have this, and this isn't a plug for the guy at all, but there's this uh, thing that's really been helping me out. It's called the full focus planner. And this isn't for everyone. Um, but I need to be able to write down stuff and be able to block out things on my schedule. Um, and it's kind of cool. Cause you write down your, your 10 goals for the year, and then you mark out your three goals for this quarter. And then you write down and it's tough for me too, with discipline, but you have to force it where you have a daily ritual and a nightly ritual kind of a, or, or a routine, um, that kind of jumpstarts your day. Um, and then, uh, from there a diet, I do mostly like a whole food, whole 30 kind of diet. Um, just a bunch of greens, nuts, and some protein. Um, but I stay away from like gluten for the most part. Well, one, I have celiac, so I have to stay away. Do you really? I do. Um, so it'll, it'll jack me up quick. So, but, um, for the discipline though, I think having weekly goals, I put down like a top three and it's all in the planner. Uh, it's called the full focus planner, but it says, um, you know, what's your weekly big three and you write down your three big goals that you're going to focus on that week. And then you have a daily big three when you wake up. And I normally will start off with writing down three things I'm grateful for. Um, and then I'll write down the three big things I need to accomplish that day. Um, and then I'll look at my, I'll review my calendar. Normally I write it I try to write it down the night before, um, uh, my day, my day for the next day. Um, and then in the morning, try to review that. And I'm not perfect at it, man. I'm far from perfect. Um, uh, but whenever I'm in the groove and whenever I have a goal, that's like, especially it helps me a lot whenever I circle it on the calendar, um, and say like, this is the fight day. And then that, that puts the pressure on like, okay, now I have to be disciplined. Um, so having something like that, like I, yeah, goal oriented for me, if I have a goal that I'm going to achieve, like your special, right? Like my special or like this fucking sober October, this heart rate challenge that we're doing. Yeah. I, if I focus on a goal, I can achieve it. Right. But if I'm like, I, I, I remember text, there's times I've texted, uh, our group of friends and I go, I need a challenge. Yeah. Like I need something like someone make a bet with me because I'm fucking just shiftless. I'm just rudderless and I'm just going like, huh? I'm just eating like shit. I'm drinking like yeah. crazy. I'm writing material. Comedy's doing great. But the other side of my life is just going nowhere. So I remember this uh, time out in the forest with the pygmies and I remember saying 
that we, so I, the second month I lived there before I came and lived there for a year. Um, I was there for, uh, and I, I wrote down four goals. It was, and I don't even know if you say goals, but it was, I want to live with them, mm-hmm. listen to them, mm-hmm. learn from them. And then from there collectively, we'll come up with the best way to love them the most. But I was sitting there and saying, okay, for we need like a practical goal of land and water and food, but how are we going to do that? And I was sitting on the side of this river, um, and it's it connect, it's the Ituri River that connects to the Congo River, which is the deepest, most powerful river in the world. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty majestic. And uh, there's hippos and crocodiles in the water. And uh, the pygmies, they have bows and arrows. Um, and I remember seeing this driftwood come by on the river. And I was just like, you know what, without a goal... And because I, I go back and forth between living a disciplined life and then throwing it all out the window and doing whatever the hell I want. Yeah. And so, um, I remember seeing the driftwood and it's like, man, whenever I don't have a goal, I'm like driftwood and I'm just floating around and wherever, wherever the river turns, it takes me. Um, and I don't have a real goal in mind, but whenever I have a goal and I'm thinking, uh, and literally there's kids that are, that are shooting banana trees with, uh, bows and arrows. They'll, they'll go, it sounds mean, but they're doing, a target practice they'll go collect little filled mice and then they'll drop them in the center of the village and then like the three four five year old kids are using them as target practice hitting the mice and um but i'm like whenever i have a goal it's like an arrow and there's a target and i am just i'm i'm let loose and i'm just flying towards that yeah and it's like a sniper instead of being driftwood so instead of being driftwood i want to be an arrow can i tell you what's fucking super frustrating about me that as soon as you said that I romanticize about being driftwood. Hmm. Like I love the, I fantasize. Like when I, one of my favorite things in the world to do when I was a kid, this is going to sound really inane, was throw a tennis ball into the surf and watch it slowly work its way back. Oh, yeah. I used to be obsessed with that. I know that's like literally staring into the sun, but I used to do that out in Jersey. We had a, a house out in Jersey, my, our family did, and I would throw balls out there and hope not to lose them. But the idea of the chaotic, no plan, like watching a leaf roll. I used to do it with shells. I would take shells upside down on the beach and let them float and watch them roll in through waves. I, as soon as you said driftwood, I go, oh, I, I fantasize about being driftwood. Hmm. But I've been driftwood so much, and I do see the other side of it, but when I have a goal, I am like dialed in to how to achieve that goal. I can't do weight loss unless there's money on the line. Hmm. Like I cannot just simply lose weight unless I know there is, I'm going to lose my beard or like I, as soon as you say, here's, this is how it goes down, bro, I am fucking dialed in. What is, what is working out look like for you? So it all varies, but normally Monday through Friday, I am uh, at strength and conditioning in the mornings. Strength and conditioning. How long does that last? Um, nine to noon so <laughs> well so it's jesus christ it's it's different because um i say string conditioning but it's also recovery as well yeah so uh we work out of a place called green strength and it's in a location called the arc and it's in oklahoma city great fantastic facility it's got physical therapy up front it's got um the string conditioning in the back and then on the side it's got the recovery center so the recovery the arc athlete recovery center yeah. so inside of it it has cryotherapy it has a hot and cold plunge do you like cryotherapy? Uh, not as much as a cold plunge. A cold plunge um, is pretty. I want to. I want to get. I love cryotherapy. I go to the cryotherapy yeah. place up on the. I Ventura. like cryotherapy. I like cryotherapy, 
but I really want to do a cold plunge. Cold plunge for me, and this might be very inaccurate, but for me, um, if you have the microwave version of an oven, right? Well, I think like cryotherapy is a little bit of the microwave version of the cold plunge. I ran the 20 miles the next day. Mm-hmm. No, I ran 13 miles. At the end of the 13 miles, I went in and cryotherapied, went to sleep that night, woke up and ran 20 miles the next day yeah. and was like, or tw- I think it was 20. I think it was 18 to 20. Yeah. Um, so I think cryotherapy is better for your immune system. Um, like it sparks it uh, yeah. whenever you get into the cold and waking you up and giving you energy. I think that a cold plunge is better for your lactic acid getting out of your muscles. Really? Now what's, now what's hot therapy? I just read um, that hot therapy is better for muscles after a long workout. Someone said yeah, that it, cold therapy is better for thing. injury. Mm-hmm. But hot therapy, what is hot therapy? What hot therapy do you guys do? So uh, there's a, a hot plunge and we use the saunas. So, saunas um, awesome. yes, yeah, saunas are awesome. Saunas are awesome. And, and Joe kind of really made me a believer in that. Yeah. Uh, and Dr. Rhonda Patrick talking about it. And Dude, for you, what do is it four interesting or five small times? community we live in. Yeah, man. Dr. Rhonda Patrick texted me about, wow, about, awesome. about, uh, about saunas. Cause I was, ta- I was asking online about it. Like what temperatures, because I was doing infrared saunas, but I think I was doing them at like, I want to say like 145, 155, yeah, 155 maybe. Yeah. And and not going, but staying in for like 35 minutes. Yeah. And I couldn't find out, and Joe was doing, it was at like 210 or something. Right. Joe was doing it like a fucking legit Russian gangster. Yeah. And I was like, wait, what's the one? And she was like, I don't know. And then she texted me, it was just, and I was like, holy shit. That's but awesome. Yeah. So you do, do you, how, how often do you sauna? So I normally sauna after working out. So um, I'll I'll work out from nine to ten thirty or eleven, and then from there I will go do the recovery. And so I'll go get in the sauna for twenty thirty minutes, um, sometimes longer, and then I'll get out and then I'll do hot and cold plunge. Um, so God I'll damn. yeah, it's cool to have all that. All one access, spot, right? yeah. It's almost like the UFC Performance Institute or the uh, Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, um, their recovery center. Um, and we've got it in Oklahoma City. It's pretty amazing. Um, and so I do that normally from 9 through 12. And then I might have a wrestling practice um, or a striking practice. And then normally in the evening, uh, I have jujitsu. So, do you feel like your wrestling's gotten, I mean, there's no way to say like better or worse when you were younger. I'm sure it was different. But do you feel like your wrestling has gotten better the more you have fought? Um, it can get better. Do you? How do you think you'd do against it? like uh, hypothetically sp- saying like how 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 do you think you'd do against like the average college wrestler? I'd win. Okay, what about I like the so. the average I was a national champ in wrestling? So. But like no, I know, but you yeah. like in, but you haven't been like I in wrestling. Been in, you're right. So the muscle memory has to come back and the timing timing is really important in wrestling because i bet Um, your mind is so focused on so many other things right that to go into a a hardcore wrestling match you'd be like you'd be like oh i don't have to they're okay hold on i gotta rethink this and and if i'm getting taken down i probably wouldn't go belly down so that i could stand back up i'd probably go back to my back which you're trained to do now in mma yeah go to the guard and so you'd have to really change it up and switch it up. But I live in Oklahoma, and Oklahoma is a really great dominant wrestling state. With Oklahoma State being there, OU do you see being kids there. come in? Do you see kids come in with wrestling backgrounds these oh, days? Oh, they're studs! Really, absolute studs! Yeah, for sure. There's a kid. Uh, oh man, I'm losing his name. I think it's Dalton Fix, 
or Dalton Nix. Sounds like a badass um, name. Yeah. He's from Sand Springs, uh, right outside Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. He's a 16-year-old kid that made it on the world team as an of like the senior adult team. I think he might be 17 or maybe 18 now, but um, he's going to go to Oklahoma State as a but for freestyle wrestling, he's right there to where when the Olympics come, he's he's the guy. And he's just, you know, he's a young kid. Yeah. So uh, Aaron Pico, who fights for Bellator. Yeah. Um, he's a guy that at 13 years old was training with uh, a wild card boxing gym, uh, Freddie. Um, I know Freddie, so- not Soto. Freddie. Why am I losing his name? That's so nice. I know you're talking about the guy that's a uh, wild yeah. card. It's out. It's, uh, it's where Manny yeah, Pacquiao, Manny Pacquiao trained, trains yeah. and everything else. So he used to date a chick that lived in the same building as my sister's. And I see him at the Starbucks below my sister's place okay. all the time. Wow. Freddie. Come on, Halston. Are you awake? Yeah, I'm <laughs> um, it's Freddie. Uh, not Freddie Savage. Freddie. Yes. Freddie Roach. Gosh, yeah. Jeez Louise. I can't believe I forgot that. Um, but Freddie Roach. And uh, so he's like a 13-year-old kid training with him. But then at 16 years old, he makes it on the Greco-Roman Olympic team. Uh, I think he was the only kid in high school. Youngest Olympian from the U.S. ever. Um Henry Cejudo was on the Olympic team, won the Olympic gold at only 18 or 19 years old. So I think MMA has really helped the sport of wrestling. I fantasize Um, about, this is going to sound so silly. This is going to sound beyond silly, almost irresponsible. I fantasize sometimes, not fantasize in like a, like I wish that would happen, but in like a, oh, if that did, and I got into a fight, I would pull guard. I've never pulled guard in my life. I don't know what pulling guard really technically is. Yeah. I think when you say pulling guard, you're hugging someone on your back. Yeah. I've pulled guard with my wife during sex. <laughs> but uh, but I have fantasized about pulling guard and then the guy going, oh, fuck, he knows what he's doing and getting it out, getting out of the fight by simply pulling guard. Yeah. The tough thing about pulling guard, so Rafael Levada Jr., best, most accomplished American in jiu-jitsu, he doesn't even want to pull guard in fights because whenever you go to your back one in the judge's eyes you're losing mm-hmm. but two i mean ground and pound sucks uh it's it's brutal yeah. and so just taking that punishment having someone on top that can pressure pass and take the wind out of you and just smash your face into the ground the back of your head into the cement or the canvas if you're fighting um pulling guard isn't like what it was whenever hoist gracie was fighting really when hoist that was 25 years ago because people didn't know what to do when you mm-hmm. pulled guard right and there's some guys that are experts at, at the guard and they're okay doing that if they have to if they're fighting more of a striker but if there's two guys that are even in jiu-jitsu and it's a fight they do, you do not want to be on your back. Really? If you're even in jujitsu, you don't. I saw a fight back. online with two guys in Hawaii that definitely knew jujitsu. Yeah, and they were in a parking lot, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" That's back when. Um, did this is gonna sound silly? This is a weird question to ask you in an interview, but uh, in a podcast, did Mayhem Miller live in Hawaii? I know that he had gone out there a lot. I don't know if he ever lived there. I think when he was big on MySpace, he was in he Hawaii. He was in Hawaii. Okay. I want to say that. I know he was in LA and Vegas for a while. He yeah. was roommates with a buddy of mine named Eric Shambari for a little bit. And I guess he was a little wild where he would do like stuff where he would like get into a dryer and hide there until Eric would come home. And then he would just pop out of the dryer, scaring the crap out of, out of Eric. And Eric's like, how long have you been in there? And he's just like giggling. He's been in there 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. He's an interesting fucking guy. What were you going to say about him in Hawaii? Oh, I I just, I'd always envisioned him living in Hawaii. My sister, uh, my sister lived 
with a girl who's married to an MMA guy and he fought and they used to go watch his fights. My sister was like really into MMA in Hawaii. It was really big. Oh, yeah. But I watched this fight with two guys who definitely knew how to knew jujitsu, yeah. but they weren't allowing tapping out in the fight because they were really mad at each other. And I was like, that scares Oof, the that fuck out of me. It scares the fuck out of me. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, Bellator is now going to Hawaii. I think it's like December 14th or 24th. Why do I like Bellator so much? Like, what I is think it? It's different. It's different, and um, and I think it's a little more pure. Like, do you think? Do you think I know that uh, Khabib f- f- uh, Connor? He like threatened to quit. Oh yeah, UFC sure. if if his brother if or his buddy didn't buddy gets fired. Yeah, yeah. And they canceled his fight, but it was just because it was about to be the same teams fighting each other. Oh really? It was really? going to be uh, SBG out of um, uh, Ireland versus. Um, he, I guess uh, his name starts with R. I can't pronounce it at all. Khabib's a friend, but, Robu um, or yeah, Rob, yeah, Rubia yeah. or Ruby. something like that. Um, but they were going to fight each other again, and he's out of AKA, but also a Dagestan guy, which I wrestled there in Dagestan, and uh, they're intense. And they were about to fight again, those two teams against each other. So they canceled that fight because probably it would have another fight afterwards. But you think you think Bellator could completely? throw a curveball if they just signed Khabib and was like I don't think uh, that would happen because I wish it could happen that would, that would shake up the game in a huge way really big but, way but um, Khabib's under contract with the UFC so they they won't uh, they'll keep him under contract and just if he doesn't want to fight then they won't fight him and they'll put him on the shelf and then he won't be able to go fight anywhere in the US so um, Jesus yeah we went to the it was I, I, I've got to go to a Bellator fight yeah, man. My weekends great. are never my weekends are never open, and when they are open, my wife wants me to stay here. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. We were talking about our our thing for uh, this bet we have is going to watch a fight somewhere. Okay, we're, we were talking about maybe going to see seeing Pacquiao fight uh, in Japan, or I, I, we talked about a bunch of different uh, options. Well, so January twenty sixth, Bellator's coming to the forum. Um, and I will be. Oh, you want to bet? I'm in fucking on the goddamn road. Okay. January well, 26. I'll tell you exactly where I am. And who, you're gonna say you're gonna be. I'll be there, and whoever our top fundraiser is for Heroes in Waiting, we got them coming. I'm at the world. If Wilbur. you wanted to come, okay. Two shows already sold out. There you go. Another nice. show on the 22nd, 27th. I think already sold out, guys. I mean, guys, this body body shots world tour. That's yeah. Awesome, I'm on man. the 26th. I'm in. I'm in Boston. Yeah. Um. Well, bro, congrats on everything you're doing, man. Dude, thank you so I'm much. Impressed. And congrats on everything you're doing. I mean, it's so fucking impressive to see. It's so impressive to see. I, I guess it's your generation of fighters having just a multi-layered career, hmm. like doing yeah. things, doing things on your own terms, and not enough. No slam against anyone, like you know, who just simply followed the footpaths of. Uh, Fight, open a gym. Fight, open a gym. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of those guys that have provided full lives to many people because of that. But it's so neat to see your group kind of just bl- blossom and do their own thing. Yeah. And and just have, m- be multi, just be like multi-layered human beings. Hmm. You know, and you've done more good for people than I'll ever do in my fucking life. So if you're listening... Go tell them the website to go to. Yeah, it's fight for the forgotten, all spelled out. Fight for the forgotten dot org. Fight dot, for the forgotten dot org. Yeah, dot com will get you to the same place. And you can give six bucks a month. Yep, and that will change someone's life. 
with giving them clean water. Um, if you can do more, I mean, uh, you know, you can do more. But if you do 30, what's that? Five, five people every month. Do you know what that is? Um, that's a that's a Peloton uh, membership. Uh, Bernie Schaub. <laughs> he's dude. His he gets on Peloton. Yeah, I see him on Instagram, and he's like, burned a thousand calories in this class. I'm like, the fuck, Pel-? like. He's a fucking savage. Beast. You, think Brendan, you think Brendan would ever fight again? I don't know. Um, I think he is so set uh, with everything he's doing, and I know he he's, loves comedy and uh, he's, loves what he's doing with Showtime. There's a I I and I've never talked to him about this, but I think there's a part of him that goes just one more. Mm. I wonder. I wonder. Mm. But he's doing. He's doing. I wonder fantastic. what his contract status is because uh, a lot of those contracts they don't have a time limit on them. So if you sign like a five fight deal, like if you wanted to go fight with Bellator, but if he's still under contract with the UFC, they won't release him to go fight unless they fight, unless he fights for the UFC. So, um, maybe he could do like a, a stand up dude. One of my favorite times with, with that guy ever is, uh, I'll tell you off air. I'll tell you off air. I okay. fucking anyway, uh, dude, I appreciate you coming out. I feel like I feel like I don't want to keep you here all day. I could talk to you for fucking hours. So next time you're out, dude, hit me up. We'll do okay. another podcast. I'd love that. It's you're someone I found through Rogan and have been a fan of since. And it's just it's fun to finally get to meet you. Man, and it's hang fun out. to meet you, bro. I've uh, I've loved you, your your comedy and everything. Oh, tell me if this is true. Shoot. Someone told me uh, that the it was a movie that I really liked. Um, that Van Wilder was roughly based off of your life. I would say roughly. Uh, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> Oliver Stone optioned the rice to my life when I was a kid and um, his company did. And uh, the it, it it bounced around. Some guys wrote some scripts and allegedly, and I say allegedly only because like the only proof I have is from the people that worked on it, uh, National Lampoon and yeah. the production company. But allegedly, uh, my article was the inspiration for the movie Van Wilder. I just so funny. I just took a meeting yesterday. This is hardcore secret time, but uh, I took a meeting yesterday about possibly doing a movie with Ryan Reynolds. Oh wow! And I was like, and part of me was like, I don't want to. Like in my head, I was like, I like I I would hate to meet him and be like, sweet. What are you What are you saying? And I'm like, oh god, never mind. But uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I always said when I first started this business, I would always I'd, I'd sell that hard because I wanted to sell tickets. I wanted people to be interested in me. And then when I the when the machine story went out, yeah. I was like, I was like, oh, this is a good footnote in my life. Like, it's an interesting footnote. Uh, and then I was like, so grateful that I wasn't that because I definitely is the guy. I definitely am the guy that would have milked the fuck out of the Van Wilder thing and been like, guys, at happy hour this week, we've got the real Van Wilder. And I would have ripped my shirt off and be like, who's upper body shots? And that would have been me. And I would have rode that till middle aged. I would have done that. I would have done that every fucking weekend. I would have totally been that guy. By the way, I'm kind of that guy a you little are. bit now. A little bit now. <laughs> a little bit. But at least I have an art form that I that I think people respect where I can For do sure. stand up. And I legitimate, like legit without a questions asked. I am a stand up first. Yep. But man. Had you given me the opportunity to follow in the path of all those road rule kids, real world kids who just went and did bars, I would have done that hard as fuck and just rode that in the grave. And now I think it's neat to know that that's like a little footnote in my career that people go, is that true? And you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, as far as I can tell you, yeah. But, but yeah. yeah. Awesome. Dude, thank you for doing this, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This is great. Fuck yeah. 
This episode was brought to you by The Machine.